Blog Talk Radio. With those first child sounds, what we miles is DJ Took Best. My name is Everett Sands. I'm the Sands. I'm the Sands. I'm the My name is Everett Sands. I'm the Sands. I'm the Sands. I'm the West Foundation. West, 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 West Foundation. West, Foundation. West, what is West? West, 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 what we want, we want, we want to do is we want to impart on these young people that we have opportunity to, uh, to coach, coach, coach. That you got to work every day. You got to work every day to be successful. You can't take any days. You can't take any days off. Even when you don't feel like getting it done, you got to get out there and do it. Hey, how's everybody doing? This is Everett Sands of the West Foundation Sports Talk Show. Welcome. We're glad to have you here. Happy New Year. Um, we got a great show lined up for you. We have a couple of guys that I had opportunity to play with, coach for, coach with, um, So, and, and also one that I coached. So we got a great lineup, a great lineup today. So we're definitely looking forward to it. The, uh, and, again, I want to wish everybody a happy new year. Let's make 2021 the best one yet. And uh, we're just constantly working to, to get better. So, first of all, I always love to start talking about the West Foundation. Who is the West Foundation? Well, we started a, uh, about four years ago and started off with a free football camp um, for kids. And the big thing that we did is we got guys that played for me and some that played with me to come be the coaches. And our goal was we wanted the kids to have a vision of success. Um, so what our overall goal is, we want kids to understand that they can be successful without being a professional athlete. Now, we want them to chase that dream because there's so much that can be learned from chasing that dream, from a work ethic standpoint, from an adversity standpoint, um, from a teamwork standpoint, there's so much that can be learned from, from chasing that. Regardless, it's baseball, basketball, football, soccer, regardless, chase your dream. Um, and, I, and I pray that it becomes a reality. But here is also another reality. Sport's going to end at some point. It might be when you're 18 years old and you finish high school. It might be when you finish college. It might be you get an opportunity to play three or four years. You might even be fortunate and play 10 or 15. But the bottom line is your sport's going to end at some point. And when that sport ends, we want to make sure that we can equip as many kids as we can with a few tools for success. That's our goal. We want to equip them with tools for success, Um, whether it's talking about leadership, character, um, financial literacy, mental wellness, how to deal with police officers. There's so many different things. And that's what we want to make sure we can put these tools in their tool belt. 
always love starting off the day with a thought of the day. And the thought of the day is change. Now, love giving some different quotes. You know, a couple of quotes that I found on change is, it's only after you step outside of your comfort zone that you begin to change, grow, and transform. Albert Einstein said, the world as we have created it is a process of our thinking. It cannot be changed without changing our thinking. So changing our thinking is definitely going to help us change where we are. And one of the ones that uh, I picked up um, when I used to work uh, with uh, uh, Excel, which was a network marketing scheme, was if you can't change the people around you, change the people around you. And so many kids need to make sure they pay attention to that. And not just kids, young adults as well. If you can't change the people around you, change the people around you. So what are we saying? We're saying that if I can't make that person change, then I'm going to remove them from around me. Because too often kids get caught up with the wrong crowd um, because they don't have the same goals that they have. So you've got to make sure that you have the right people around you. Now, here's one thing that you just really want to, want to think about. You don't get out. Of, you don't get uh, in life what you want. You get in life what you are. You have to create create an achievable mindset, and you have to create that by yourself. The Bible says, "Be ye not transformed in this world, but, but no, excuse me, be ye not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind." This is the era that uh, Peter Drucker called the three C's which is accelerated change, overwhelming complexity, and tremendous competition. Change is going to happen, and there's times in your life that things are going to be complex. And if you are an athlete, I'm sure that you love competition. So embrace that. So as you look at yourself and you look at your goals, set aside time every day to work on that mindset, to expand your vision of what's possible for you. Most people go to their grades with greatness still in them. Think about that. How many people have the opportunity to do something great, but for some reason or another they didn't do it? So make up your mind right now that you refuse to not reach your greatness. And also understand that your greatness might look different than my greatness. But the challenge is to find your greatness, to make a change and find your purpose. At times things happen in life and forces us to change and it makes us uncomfortable. But we got to be willing to head into an uncomfortable situation and make some things happen. So there's a book, and if you read it, great. Don't ask who moved my cheese, but adjust, find your purpose, embrace change, and find your greatness. And then the last quote I want to leave you with is, what we do and what we accomplish in life is a result of the story that we believe about ourselves. Now, that is so true because if you believe that you can be successful, there's a great chance that you're going to find success. But if you have doubts, that's going to be a hindrance to your success. So the first thing that you got to do to create change is believe that change is possible. And as you believe that that change is possible and you start to make some things happen, change will come. And I promise you, change is a constant thing. Things aren't going to stay the same, so embrace change. Tonight, I got a good friend of mine that's going to be my co-host. Um, he actually uh, is a classmate of my brother, 
And uh, many a days growing up, he spent some time over in my apartment back in my fifth year, Mr. Corey Brown. Corey, how's everything going? It's going great, man. I really appreciate uh, being here and you having me on. Um, learned a lot with your, your quotes there. Um, the one that I'll definitely share with my son, if you can't change the people around you, change the people around you. Kind of reminds me, um, Everett, of another quote from a good friend of ours, uh, Monty White, always says, how can two walk together unless they agree? I think it all kind of ties hand in hand. But, uh, again, really appreciate um, being here with you and, and being on your show. Hey, man, we're definitely glad that, that you can join us, man. I'm glad you can join us. Now, you uh, you spent a little bit of time coaching some baseball, right? Yes, yes. Um, so I spent some time coaching um, youth baseball, um, Little League baseball out of the Mint Hill, North Carolina area, which was District 3. Um, I'm not sure if, if people remember. Um, it may have been about, about four years ago there was a team from Greenville, North Carolina that um, won the U.S. Championship Little League World Series. Um, when we were uh, 11 years old, we actually lost the North Carolina State Championship, the team that I coached, um, to that team. So that's, uh, you know, you can see that a lot of great baseball players, um, you know, during that time. Uh, but the thing about that is, and it kind of goes back to what you said earlier, um, you know, when I go back to the Mill Hill area, a lot of those kids are still um, either classmates or friends with my sons. And so when I see them, they still call you coach. Um, it's the same as you, the guys that you coached in college. But I think, uh, as you, you know, with regards to youth sports, college sports, sometimes you don't understand the impact that you have or the ability you have to mold and impact the youth, um, either through your actions, through life lessons that you're teaching, um, you know, I can still remember ever in your fullback when Coach Taft would talk about alignment and details. And at the time, you may not have really understood exactly what those things meant, but half a step off, or if you're not exactly five yards, so five and a half yards or four and a half, you know, you're not mm-hmm. giving your lineman or quarterback an opportunity to execute the play properly. The timing is, is off. Um, so, you know, it's just life lessons. It's the same thing when you're in, a corp- in corporate America. Um, you know, the, if someone gives you the plan, I tell my kids this all the time, someone gives you the answers to the test, if someone tells you how to execute something, it's up to you to execute it properly or in that manner. And if you don't, then you have to accept the results that you get. So, again, all of this ties back to, to youth sports. Um, and I'll say one more thing, and I, told, I used to tell my, my kids this as well. Um, you learn so much playing youth sports. It doesn't matter the sport. You know, you have you know, coaches or, or team managers. You know, those are managers in, in, a, in a work environment. You know, you have teammates. And oftentimes you have to do things as a team to accomplish a certain objective. And youth sports or sports in general, they teach you how to be a good teammate or a good team player in the accomplishments of, of, of specific goals. And that is that is so important to sports in general, which definitely, as you're saying, goes on to life. And, you know, just talking about the being a little off, it reminds me of when I was coaching at Elon, who was playing JMU. And we was up by 14 at half. Um, 
and then we went three and out the first drive. It was about a half a yard short. Second drive, we went three and out. Um, next thing you know, we're in a ball game. As we go back and look at the fullback, um, which we gave him the ball both times on third down, and he came up, like I said, about a half a yard short. His feet, supposed to, or his heels are supposed to be at five yards. Mm-hmm. And he was five and a third. So right. extra third back would have given us, uh, if he was where he's supposed to be, that would have given us a first down just by alignment. So yep. if we get a first down there and get a drive going versus going three and out, who knows what's going to happen? You probably exactly. won't be in that situation. Venom started to shift like then, and we would have been able to get something going. So that, that's it, it's so Great. true uh, from a football perspective. But then again, the same things happens in life as well. Yes, sir. Agreed. Agreed. Now, as we're talking about that, there were some some big bowl games this weekend. Um, mm-hmm. Now, tell me if you expected this or you were surprised. Uh, we're gonna go starting with Tuesday, Oklahoma and uh, and Miami. Were you surprised that Oklahoma beat Miami? Or, or it was thirty-seven, thirty-four. Or were you expecting that? Uh, I was. I was actually expecting that. Um, I have some friends that are Hurricanes fans or Miami fans, and I think they've been waiting for twenty years for for Miami to be back or to be able to say that Miami was back. I think Miami's season this year was better than it has been maybe in the past couple of seasons. Um, but I'm still not a believer that Miami's back. And, and that's all I'll say because if I say any more, <laughs> they'll say I'm a Miami. So, <laughs> right. yes, sir. Now, Miami to get back now, I mean, they won like mm-hmm. 54 home games in a row. That's like six mm-hmm. years. Of not yeah. losing a home game, I mean, that's, right? That's incredible. I don't know if they right. ever get back to that, um, but they were extremely dominant. By I, I I don't either ever. And, and let me let me ask you a quick question because I was talking with someone mm-hmm. about this um, yesterday. If you look at what, and, and I apologize, this is off the wall, just because we're on the subject of Miami. If you look at mm-hmm. back in the early two thousands, the stable of running backs that they had that came through there. Would you compare what Saban's doing now to that? Do you think what he's doing is the, the types of backs that he's bringing in, that, that he's putting into the next level, do you think that's better than what Miami was doing? Because there was a time when Miami had, like, you know, a gay and, you know, I mean, it was back after back. And those guys were first, second, third round, you know, all day long, leading teams in, at the next level. No. I would say that Alabama is probably the closest thing that I owe Miami, um, just in uh, that we've seen because year in year out they're getting number one classes. Um, there are guys that transfer from Miami um, that go on and have great NFL careers. They they couldn't break the two deep there, and they transfer and they go on and have great NFL careers. So they're getting top notch kids year in and year out. Um, yeah. Which we'll get to later, so kind of, you know, we, we'll talk about this a little bit later. But I mean, okay. right now they got three, they have three top five Heisman uh, finals on the same team. 
on the same team. On the same team. Exactly. Yeah. So, so if if anybody's close to that old Miami, it's mm-hmm. Alabama. Definitely. Agree. So. Agree. Yeah, um, and then Texas and Colorado. Texas beat up on Colorado, fifty-five to twenty-three. Were you expecting that one? No, I think I was expecting that game to be a little bit closer. Um, you know, from what I was seeing from Colorado, I felt like they they were they were kind of on an uptick, or they were kind of on the rise. Um, and I know there was it was a short season, and they've had some success in the short season. But I think that based on what I've been seeing from Texas, which was a bit of disarray, and I think as we saw with the firing their coach here recently, I was expecting that game to be a little bit closer. I'm not sure, you know, what what did you think? How did you feel about it? Well, you know, I thought Colorado had a great season, um, and I thought it was going to be a little bit closer. I was actually expecting Colorado to pull that one out. Um, but Texas came ready to play, but unfortunately it still wasn't enough. And I think that might have been in the cards the whole time um, because it's not often they fire a coach and hire another one within two hours. That's right. Um, Agreed. Hire Sarkis. So that was that was in the works already. Um, so mm-hmm. regardless of how he didn't. So. Now, what about Wake Forest and Wisconsin? Wisconsin won that one, forty-two to twenty-eight. Yeah, and I, and I watched that game. Um, and Wake Forest put up a valiant effort um, there in the first half. Actually, their their quarterback kind of had some home ties here. I think um, he went to school up in the Huntersville area. Um, and he had a, mm-hmm. a solid first half. Like, I felt bad for him during that second half. That game came down to, I think, three turnovers, three picks that he threw um, in the second half. Um, I think he's a much better quarterback than that. Um, I, I will say, though, that I, I was expecting Wisconsin to, to win that game. I felt like they were more physical than Wake Forest was. But, uh, you know, the way it came down, the margin of victory based on those turnovers was a, was a bit of a surprise to me. And, again, that, uh, you hate to see that happen to a kid. You know how hard they – you know, you, you played at the college level. You know how hard, um, you know, it is, how much work it requires to go out and be successful as a, as a player at the college level, much less a, a quarterback. Um, so – Again, yeah, I, I think I was expecting that game to. I, I was expecting yeah. Wisconsin to win, but for it mm-hmm. to be just a little bit closer than, than it turned out. Yeah. I was. Uh, I only watched a little bit of it, and when I watched, it was a couple of turnovers right there in that second mm-hmm. half. So, uh, mm-hmm. over, so uh, yeah, so those turnovers sure. definitely had a big. Yeah. What about the Florida Oklahoma game? Oklahoma beat up on uh, Florida fifty-five to twenty. Yeah. Oh man. They. <laughs> yeah. Florida is. You know, and that's one of those teams that I get every. You know, we we have some friends, or I have a friend that's, that's a, a Florida fan, and uh, I think the way that that game turned out, it was the turnovers. It was similar to again what happened the Wake Forest games. The only. It happened throughout the game, and this was a uh, you know a Heisman uh, a Heisman candidate to see that happen too. I do think Florida has some talent, and I do like their coach. Um, I would expect to see some things here um, in the next year or so um, because I think they are getting good talent in there. Um, Oklahoma, I'll be honest, I, again I wasn't expecting that. 
I was actually expecting Florida to be able to win that game. Um, but, but mm-hmm. you know, Oklahoma did what they had to do, did what they needed to do in order to, to be victorious. So, um, you know, I guess we'll need to wait another year on, uh, on Florida, right? Now, well, here's one thing that you always got to take into account. Florida had their okay. top four receivers. That is true. So, I mean, I, I mean to me, yeah, I'm I'm not a fan of kids opting out of the bowl games. I mean, you're part of that team. Yeah. Um, you'll be part of your team and help get that last win. But when you got your top four receivers, including mm-hmm. Pitts, the big tight end, who's probably going to be a first round pick. Um, sure. Man, when when they don't play, that changes the dynamic of the team. So I think if they're playing. Right. That's a different game. That's true. I saw a lot of drops during during that game as well. So a lot of some passes that should have been caught. Um, and I and, and again, you can attribute that to you know their top receivers being out. Um, yeah, but it's sometimes it's, it's and I think I, I you know I'm looking at this as logically as possible to see receivers get an opportunity when these guys or players opt out, the top players opt out, mm-hmm. and for them to, you know, to, to drop passes. I, I don't know if they were, if the moment was too big for them or, you know, if, if they weren't, you know, prepared. But there there were some passes that were definitely dropped that you can attribute to them right. being, you know, not the starters. But, so I understand. But, but, but just imagine, you ain't played all year and all of a sudden you're a starter. Yeah, in a bowl game. Not the, the moment true. shouldn't be too big because again, you know, you got to prepare to to play regardless if you were a starter or not. But yeah, I mean, there's a reason why those guys were in front of them. So he, I can um, take you this, man. I don't know if have you ever heard me tell. I, you know, I know we were on the schedule. I don't know if you ever heard me tell that story. Maybe I can catch you offline during the. Uh, mm-hmm. It was during the uh, back in '94. 93, 94, um, during the uh, Marshall game, we, we were playing at, in the Boneyard, and it was muddy. Um, and, and I was right. a freshman, and uh, I had a duplicate jersey. I think it was, like, number 12. And as a freshman, you wearing a duplicate jersey, you know you aren't going to play. You know what I mean? Um, and especially right. when the guy that's wearing, the primary person wearing that jersey is the starting linebacker, which was Mike Wyatt at, at the time. Yep. And uh, so, man, I remember standing on the sideline. It was muddy. That's back when they had Chris Parker. He'd been running all day. And uh, mm-hmm. so it's like the third quarter, and it's and one of the trainers started calling my name. Brown, Brown. And I'm standing there with some other guys, and, you know, we've been sitting there cutting up all game, and my heart dropped. I'm like, why in the world is he calling me? Um Right. And I, they were like, "Man, you're about to go in," and I'm like, <laughs> I, don't, "I don't, I don't think so." Long story short, Mike's jersey had gotten torn up, so they end up taking my jersey, which is Duke's jersey, and giving it to him. But what I was, my point is, in that moment <laughs> when they called my name, I, I can understand. But those guys had what a week or so to prepare. I was inside of ten right. seconds. Like, I don't know what in the heck I'm gonna do if they put me out here. Right now, so yeah. I get it. Trust me, I get it. Oh, yeah, definitely. definitely. <laughs> I get Andy now. Bro! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Now, hey, Georgia-Cincinnati game was a lot tighter than I anticipated. 
and and Georgia had to come back and win that. They won 24-21, but not even up most of that game. Were you expecting that? Yeah. You got a good team. Again, man, I I, I, I wasn't, man. I probably have to apologize to one of my coworkers. You know, we talked about it. He's a Cincinnati fan, and I told him Cincinnati hadn't played anybody and Georgia was going to blow their doors off. But, uh, unfortunately, it didn't go down that way. Um, I'm like you. That game was much tighter than than what I was – you know what I was expecting, but I can't say um, that Cincinnati they they had more talent than I accounted for. They they have a they have a good thing going, man. They had a good great season, good program. So the um now we'll we'll uh we'll save the talk for Ohio State Clemson after um, towards the back end. Um, but Northwestern, okay. which we'll have long on Northwestern looked really good against Auburn. And I know Auburn's going through a coaching change and everything. They look really good against them. They had a, that win was thirty five to nineteen. Yeah, and, uh, and, and and they remind me. And I know if some of the schools ever, uh, especially like a Northwestern or uh, a Duke, um, you know, Wake Forest, because of some of the academic requirements on some of those schools, they're tougher to recruit to. Um, and but Northwestern seems to have figured it out because they they. They've been able to compete um, much better in their conference than they were up Vanderbilt and and as of recent, um, you know, a Duke. So, um, you know, I kind of have to um, – hats off to them, man. They I didn't know if they were – they weren't who I thought they were. I can say that. I didn't know if they were overachieving. And they probably did to an extent, but they deserved to, you know, to be in that bowl game. And I thought they, they did well. And and I think one of the things uh, that they do from an offensive standpoint is they got a little option base in their offense. They're not an option offense. They got some options in there. And and I think that helps even the playing field a little bit. Uh, And, again, most of it is the zone read option. Um, But I think they do a good job with that. And uh, whenever you can make that opposing team play a little bit more assignment football, um, right. That definitely helps. Agreed. But then, uh, before we go to break, um, you know, we went talking about less talented, but probably one of the most talented teams uh, in Alabama had their way with Notre Dame. Um, were you expecting yeah. them to play like that? Or did you expect that to be in the title? Yeah, and I have to watch what I say here. Because I'm not the biggest <laughs> Notre Dame fan, so um, you know I I was expecting that I was I was actually expecting maybe the, that that margin of victory to and I don't want to discredit Notre Dame because I know they have talent, but I, I think I was expecting that margin of victory to be larger. But in my subconscious, I think I was wanting that margin of victory to be larger rather than expecting it to be larger. So. Um, I looked at what Clemson did a week ago with Notre Dame, and I felt like Alabama would, would have, a, have a similar result because I think uh, as far as talent, um, they are um, comparable. or they're, they're, The talent level is consistent for both those programs. So I, I can say, yes, I was expecting that. Right, right. Which we'll, we'll get into talking about a little bit later because if, if you look at the way that Alabama beat Notre Dame and the way that Clemson beat 
Notre Dame. So you would think that Clemson would be better than Notre Dame, but in the way that our state be put, but like I said, we'll get into that later. But we're going to take yeah. a quick break. And we'll be- the truth can hurt you, or the truth can change you. What will truth do to you? I just want to be happy. But if I keep on doing the things that keep on bringing me pain, there's no one else I can blame. If I'm not happy, wasted time, but now I can see the biggest enemy it was me. So I'm not happy. Cry yourself to sleep. Shout and raise your hands. It won't change a thing, child, until you understand. Preach. If you're tired of seeing the same, if you're tired of things not changing, it's time for you to get out the way. But it only works if Look at yourself and say Don't you wanna be happy? Yeah. I just wanna be happy But if I keep on giving my heart For people to tear apart The healing will never start So I can be happy Yes, Lord Will I ever be happy? Cry yourself to sleep, shout and raise your hand. It won't change a thing, child, until you understand. If I'm talking to you, then say, If you're tired of seeing the same, if you're tired of things not changing, it's time for you to get out your way. You've been there too long.
I'm ready. I just want to be happy. Thank you, Lord. Every day, ask yourself. Do you want to be happy? Yes. Pull over. Let him drive. I just want to be happy. Hey, how's everybody doing? This is Everett Sands with West Foundation Sports Talk Show. We're back, and we got a, a young man that I've known for a long time, Mr. Stanley Myers. Stanley, how's everything going? <laughs> e Sands, what's up, baby? Good. Thank you for the invite. Looking forward to being here. I'm also excited about your co-host, Corey Brown, whom I've known forever. <laughs> yes, yes, how you doing, yes. Sam? Good, Corey, good. How you doing? And for those that don't know, these are my these are my fraternity brothers. So hey, we we might we might have a little bit too much of a good time here, but we're gonna behave. Uh, but uh, man, let's just start off and tell us a little bit about your journey from Swansea to Law Partner. Swansea, South Carolina, e you know it's the uh, the heart of the uh, state. Um, you know the cream of the crop, man. So a uh, little small town with uh, now two lights. Used to be one when I was growing up. So um, I got from Swansea to the Citadel because Charlie Taft paid me a visit my, my junior year, I want to say, um, or expressed an interest, I'm sorry, um, didn't come until my senior year. But um, noticed me on the football field. I came from a what I believe to be a very successful high school program led by Robert Maddox. Um, you know, he came in, won several state championships. I somehow got on a few colleges' radar to include the Citadel, and um, Charlie Taft recruited me. Um, I accepted and I should say the rest is history. You know, while I was there, I, um, I, I tried to study hard, did what I needed to do, was fortunate to be a four-year quarterback after being redshirted my first year. Always knew I wanted to go to law school, and um, that was just something I wanted to concentrate on because I just knew that, hey, while I might have been good enough to play college ball, I did not have the talent to go to the next level. So, um, you know, just um, tried to focus hard on, on, on education and studying got accepted to law school, and um, also did something that I just did not think that would ever happen, which is to get my commission out of the Citadel um, just because the TAC officer said, hey, man, don't don't leave this institution without getting something out of the military. So got my commission as a second lieutenant in the Army, and um, now I'm a lieutenant colonel in the uh, South Carolina Army National Guard, a JAG officer, and also a practicing attorney. Law partner, about to be a name partner at uh, Moore Taylor in West Columbia, where I do criminal defense and personal injury. So for all of, all of the uh, listeners, if you need a lawyer, I am your man. So criminal defense and personal injury. Yeah, but we're a general practice firm, Everett. So uh, we have a total of – I'm the managing partner there now. We have, we have I want to say, close to 20 lawyers. We handle about everything. Um you know, we don't we don't handle any taxation or patent law, but bankruptcy, family law, criminal, car wrecks, uh, workers comp, we can we can do it. Okay. All right. Now, let's just talk a little bit about how was your? Because how many? Let me ask this question: How many years were you active duty? So, or was it all? You know, I I, I should, you know never really under, under the umbrella of active duty. Um, I got my commission on the National Guard side, but that entailed me being being on active duty orders for schools, for training. Um, now, the active duty that I actually served that was under the umbrella was my deployment to Afghanistan, which was from 2007 to 2008. But to just say that I was in an active duty unit, um, that wasn't the case. I've always been commissioned under the National Guard 
but the deployment to Afghanistan, I guess that was active duty, but I was still associated with the National Guard. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Good. Now, what what's the big thing that you learned from your deployment when you was over there? Man, Everett, you learn who your friends are, uh, right? And um, you learn how to uh, persevere. You learn how to, um, you know, um, how to just make sure that you are relying on what your training has given to you. And when I say your friends, you know, at the time I was, uh, I'd recently gotten married. My wife and I were talking about starting a family when I got the deployment order, so it certainly came at a bad time. But they never come at a good time. And, uh, you know, I, I just thank God for the support that we had, you know, individuals such as yourself, such as Corey and all of our other fraternity brothers and the other people that I came across in my life that just constantly checked on my wife, constantly checked on my family and sent me care packages. All those things go a long way. Um, but, you know, I, and, and I also learned that the world is a, is a heck of a lot larger than South Carolina or even the United States. You know, the one good thing I can appreciate about the Army is that it puts a lot of different people together under one umbrella. And, you know, at that point, it doesn't matter about race, color, creed. You're all serving one common good or cause. And at that time, you're just trying to get home, trying to do whatever you can to get home. Right, right. I understand that. I understand that. The, um, now, one of the things that we try to do here is just give our kids a, a vision of success. And you've had your share of success. And I imagine that you got that vision from somewhere. So who was your vision? So what was your vision of success uh, as a young student athlete? Uh, yeah, so, you know, man, I, I think one of my biggest heroes, um, and I'm not just saying this just to say it, but my, my dad played just a, a very important role in my life, and I, he's my hero because he had a third-grade education, didn't have a lot of money growing up at all, um, but, you know, he has an extreme just an excessive amount of common sense. So when I look at him and, and, and I look at the fact that he was always able to put a roof on our, over our heads, he was always able to pay bills, no one came to put foreclosure notices on our door, he raised four children, and, you know, my mom was, was happy, was never abusive, just, just grew up in a very good, um, sound home and an environment. He became my hero. So as, grow, as I was growing up, you know, you know I, I, I got my education because it's something that they wanted to force on me, but to me, he was successful, and I knew that, hey, man, if I can have a family um, where my kids can grow up in a great environment where they can get educated and do well and we don't have to worry about paying bills, then that, to me, is success. The problem now, Everett, is that you know, you got so much stuff going on that you want to make sure you enjoy what you have. Um, you always want more. You always want more. You know, and here I am. I'm saying, man, we got so many blessings, and I've, I've, I've achieved what I believe to be success based on my standards. And my thing is that, hey, just be happy with what I have and enjoy what I have as opposed to just constantly wanting more. It's always good to want more. That's how you, that's how you stay hungry and, and, and lead to success. But at some point, you should, you should just step back and say, hey, I have what I need. I just want to enjoy what I have. Hey, Stan, we, we always, uh, I know we always joke about coming from the country or growing up as country boys, man. And I appreciate that perspective on your dad. What is the when you think of your dad? What's the biggest life lesson that he's taught you that you're that you're able to share with us today? <laughs> you know, Corey, the thing about my dad, man, growing up in the country, they come up with all these little things, man. You know, and you know, I just remember all these little these little things of the country boy as a criminal as a lawyer, and mm-hmm. you've heard me say this. 
um, you know, I have a client that may come to me and say, family, law enforcement is looking for me. They want to talk to me. What do you think? And so I pull things that my dad tells me. He said, I remember him telling me, he said, son, the only way a fish gets caught if it opens his mouth. So, you know, that's something only a country boy will understand. So, I mean, it's just sure. little things that I, if, I, maybe I should just write a book on all the little things that my dad used to teach me. You know, no matter how thin or thick you cook a pancake, there are always two sides. So, you know, it's just so much that I have learned from him just, just from watching him. Again, this is a man who only had a third-grade education, but he was he successfully in my mind just because he went off of sheer will, sheer gut, and just common sense. Does that answer your question? It does. Appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, now, speaking of learning, now, first of all, before I get to that, the word on the street is that you're considered one of the top five quarterbacks in Citadel history. Is there any truth to that in your mind? <laughs> yeah, but I think you know the answer to that. Of course it's true. You know, I mean, what? what? <laughs> nah, nah, I mean, you know, for for the risk of being, I, I think that I did some good things there, but, you know, I, I think that you certainly, um, I don't, for me to say I'm in the top five, I think that's for other people to say. I think that while I was there, I achieved some success, but, you know, the elephant in the room, whenever people talk about Citadel quarterbacks, is always our good friend Jack Douglas. You know, Jack holds several records. His jersey is retired. Um, you had Duran Lawson who came in and broke um, pretty much all of our, both of our records. Um, you have some other quarterbacks there. I'll tell you this, you know, being in the top five, I don't think my numbers are anymore in the top five. I, my jersey isn't retired. So, um, you know, while I might have achieved some success, um, I, I think it's for the people other than me to determine whether or not I was in the top five. I'm just glad I was able to hold down the, the helm when I was there and had the opportunity to play. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now, can we go back for a second? I'd just like to pick your brain. I'm, I'm sorry, Aaron. I, I, mean, I want to pick your brain for a second. Mm-hmm. Hey, let's go back to August of 95, okay? Um, you, you're called to duty. You're, this is your first game. And I think we're on about the 35, 40-yard line. And Coach Tapp called 34 options, or maybe 36. Would you turn the wrong way and ran for a second? Did you call your own? Did you mean to do that? Did you call your own number? I, I always wanted that, man. You meant to do that. <laughs> you know, okay. not that Everett has this on 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 a, a radio show. I guess the truth is about to come out, right, Corey? But uh, you know, let's go back a little. Let's go back about 24 hours before that play ever was called, right? So I had been redshirted my first year, and I was a redshirt freshman. And the starting quarterback, John Burton, um, was he had an auto violation, and we were informed 24 hours before that he was going to be kicked out of school. So Charlie Tab called me in, and he, his exact words were that, you know, uh, Stanley, I'm pretty sure you knew that you were going to get some playing time. Well, you, you've now moved from a little bit of playing time to now being the starting quarterback. And, uh, Murder, you know, I mean, we're all confident individuals, man, but after being red-shirted for an entire year and then having an opportunity to play live, right. it's just like, wow. So, man, I was nervous. I mean, man, my, my butthole was so tight. that I really, I'm glad you remembered the play because I don't even remember yeah. the play that was called. All I felt right. is – is that Charlie Tav sent me in. He gave me a play, and I somehow communicated it to the team, but the team went one way and Stan Myers went the other. Thank goodness it worked out. <laughs> yeah, because uh, I can see getting really, really red if it did. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, thank God it worked out. I mean, because y'all remember how mean Charlie Taft was. I mean, had mm-hmm. I been sacked or gotten tackled for a loss, you know, that that would have meant my little brief career would have ended right then and there. Period. So you know, hey, thank goodness it worked out. <laughs> well, hey, now Stan, from those Citadel times, those four years that you was a starter. Um, what did you learn that you can sort of point to as a reason for your success now that you learned during that time period? Oh, you know, Everett, the, uh, as y'all know, man, the Citadel is, is just a, such a unique place, and it's just filled with so many stories and, or, and life lessons. Um, you know, it, it teaches so much about overcoming adversity how to um, under, make you understand that, that, that life is not sunshine and rainbows, that there are going to be a lot of peaks and valleys, and you got to persevere. Um, you can't be, a, you know, it's something else, Corey, going back to what my dad used to tell me, that you can't be an ostrich. Um, I don't know, if, you know, you know, when you see an ostrich, man, it always has its head in the dirt, right? And right. so to my dad, now I don't know the science behind it. I mean, I could be completely wrong, but my dad had told me, and I think that it's true. So when you are an ostrich, you constantly have your head in the ground, and, you know, you ignore your problems. So for me, it, the Citadel taught me how, to, how not to ignore my problems, that if I have a problem, bow your back, go up and, and face that problem, and things generally work out. And, you know, I was, and going back to Charlie Taft, you know, Charlie Taft was, in my opinion, of all the coaches that I've had, probably the meanest coach that I've ever had. But mm-hmm. Taft's whole thing was, was that he was going to put so much pressure on you during right. practice that when game time came, you were better for it. And as a result, you know, I, I look at that right now. I mean, when I go in front of a, a, a so-called judge who they tell me, man, this judge is going to um, curse you. He's going to do this. He's going to do that. And I say to myself, man, he can't be any worse than Charlie Taft. So he can't be any worse than that sophomore who would come into your room and, and make you, you know, just, just harass you even when you don't want to be harassed. So, you know, those are just some of the most important life lessons that I've seen, that, that, I've, that I've learned and taken away. Because the Citadel is a bad place to be, but it's a great place to be from. Yep, no doubt about that. No doubt about that. That is very true. And we all have our stories um, that to a lot of people are not funny. But if you're a Citadel guy, it's hilarious. And, uh, right. 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 I mean, and the yeah. thing about it is that, guys, y'all know, I mean, some of the stories that we laugh about, People at other institutions would look at it as if we're like we're crazy. Like, man, what the hell are you talking about? You know, but it's, it's something that, that's so funny to us uh, that you know is you love the place. That's true. That is very true, and yeah. it's, and it's one of those things that you know I've noticed you know in coaching how there's a lot of times when people start spazzing and you're looking around like, what you doing? Why? Just calm down. It's gonna be okay. Um, and that's something yeah. that we, yeah. just like, hey, we know it's going to work out. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, Everett, to that point, um, you know, when I went to law school, you know, you hear all the stories about um, the dropout rate for law school. And you get so many people that are so stressed out, man, when exam time comes. Because, you know, in law school you go through all these classes and you don't get but one final examination, and that's at the end of the semester. And it's past the I mean, you know, if you fail it, you're done. And so you get all these people, man, that come from these other institutions that, that panic, and they just spaz out, like you said. And that's another word. Who else other than us knows what spaz really means? You know? So, I mean, so it's like I, 
I attribute the Citadel and all the adversity that you go through to say, man, you know, look, mm-hmm. it's going to work out. Just just have, have a plan, put your plan into effect, and everything will work out. That's true. That is true. true. That is true. Now, speaking of everything working out, now in your career, you come across some people that make some not-so-good decisions or get caught up in the wrong place at the wrong time. Um, we were talking earlier about if you can't change the people around you, change the people around you. What advice would you give to kids um, as they try to make sound decisions? Um, you know, you, you said friends, and, you know, and I think back of how fortunate I am to have friends like you and Corey and the friends that the three of us also share. Um, you know, one of the things that we believe in is that, hey, man, you, you got to choose your friends wisely, wisely because how can two walk and not agree? So to the young people out there, my thought would be that, you know, make sure you are hanging around good people, people that have just as much to lose as you do. Um, you know, if I'm sitting around and I got more to lose than, than the other people that I'm hanging around, we got problems. I know I got problems ahead. But, you know, we were successful, and I say we because you guys are successful. Our friends are successful. And it's because when we did, when we were hanging out, we always had someone that, called us or reined us in because we all had something to lose. We were not going to put ourselves in a bad situation. So to these young people out there, you know, in addition to everything else as far as working hard, you got to choose your friends wisely and, and, and make sure that they're friends that are not going to be jealous of your success, mm-hmm. friends that are not going to pull you down. Um, because, again, you, you're only as strong as the individuals you hang around, and you want to make sure you're constantly associating with good people. Because if you're hanging around bad people, you're never going to learn anything, Right. So you constantly want to hang around individuals that are smart and can add to your knowledge base because life is all about seeking knowledge. I mean, you learn every day. No matter how old I am, no matter where I go, to me, I don't know anything. And I think that's the level of – I think that's where humility comes in, to know what you don't know and be honest with what you don't know. It's only then that you can truly grow. Now, if you ask my wife – if you ask my wife, she feels that all single guys know everything. I'm like, man, we don't know everything. We don't. You know, if I, we don't know everything. Here's the thing now. This this comes to comes from a judge who is a civil grad, um, Judge Craig Brown. Craig Brown, I don't know if you remember, played, played football um, at the Citadel. He was a wide receiver, I think, and he is now a circuit court judge in Florence. And the re- what you need to tell your wife and everybody else is that we have been taught that we may be wrong, but we're never in doubt. You know, so and that's what Craig Brown's motto is: that, Hey, I could be wrong in my ruling, but I'm never in doubt. So that's the, you know that's the thing. I mean, so sometimes the Citadel teaches us: Hey, man, whatever you do, speak confidently about it, because if you're not confident and you don't believe it, how can you ever lead other individuals and show them your vision and ask and expect them to buy into your vision? There you go. That is so very well put. Very well put. The um, now the these kids that uh, sort of I'm sure you come across some kids, not just young adults. Um, besides being in the right place at the or being in the wrong place at the wrong time. Uh, they just sometimes just make poor decisions. Why 
do you think kids make such poor decisions at times? Is it I just want to um, be that guy, the, or what do you think? Yeah, I, you know, Everett, I think that, well, first of all, they're young, and, you know, what, what do we always tell, you know, experience is the best teacher. Well, it's because individuals have gone out and done some stupid things. I mean, I, I, I know I'm not um, a saint. I know I've done some stupid things. So, you know, it's, it's kind of one of those things that when, when we as adults, sometimes we forget that when we see kids do things, we're quick to chastise them because we've forgotten that we were their ages. And now it's important to teach them the right way. So uh, another lesson that, you know, these kids need to understand and know is that when you go out, be careful who you select as your mentors. Um, you know, be careful who you look up to because when you fail, you want someone who is going to spend the time with you to correct what you may have done wrong. You don't want someone who constantly is going to be berating you and say, you messed up, you messed up. I mean, that's not going to get anybody there. But, you know, sometimes the only way people can learn is if they go through something. Hopefully it's not so bad that they can't recover. But, you know, you want to make sure you select good mentors that can guide you through bad times. Stan, I know that um, in years past you you ran a mentoring program in the Swansea and Columbia area where you, you work with young men, you talk, talk them things to things, basic or simple things that things that we look at as basic but are more complex, uh, complicated to young men, such as learning how to tie a tie, learning how to handle yourself um, in the face of authority. Are you still um, running that, that program? Yeah, we, it's not as large as I, I want it to be, and, it, and, and it's not as regular as I want it to be. A lot of it, and um, this is just not even to make an excuse because there is no excuse. It's just that, um, you know, you, you get older, and then all of a sudden you get kids and you know, it was a program that I designed for little troubled boys out of the community. Well, now all of a sudden I got a little girl who has ballet and this and that, and so I got a little boy too that, you know, I, I, you can't necessarily find all the time. But, yeah, of course, I mean, I, it's something. So I still have a couple kids that I check in on regularly. But mm-hmm. the program used to be that, you know, every other Saturday or so we would get troubled. I reached out to all the churches in Swansea, and um, they would have the youth in, that, in those churches come and we would have, like, little two-hour classes, um, you know, where we taught them how to tie a tie. I even taught them, and again, this is something that's common to the Citadel, I even taught them how to tuck a shirt in and make a gig line. You know, y'all remember the gig line? You know? So, I mean, I even had adults come to me saying, man, can you show me that again, man? What is it called, the gig line, man? I mean, everything has to be lined up. But, you know, so to answer your question, yes and no, I still got it going on. I have a couple of kids that I still – keeping constant contact with to make sure they're doing the right thing. But it was such a good – I mean, I had a lot of good close friends come down to teach various things, and it was just real beneficial for the community and for the kids and for myself. Well, Stan, we need to uh, – I want to get with you because those are some of the things that we want to do through the West Foundation as well. Um, and, of course, now that I'm in Columbia, I definitely want to do some more things here. Uh, so we need to get together on that. Um, but, one, Absolutely. I know our time is coming short. Last thing. Um, for a young student athlete that wants to become a lawyer, uh, what advice would you give them? Um, don't be, don't give up. If that is what you want to do, um, be be confident in what you want to do, and, and don't give up. The journey is going to be hard. Uh, it is a long educational process. I mean, you got to go through twelve years of college. Um, you got to go through four years of, of, I'm sorry, 12 years of um, high, uh, through high school, four years of college, 
and then you got to go through three more years of law school, and then you got to sit for what is probably one of the hardest exams that you'll come across. Well, it was three days when I took the South Carolina bar, but now it's two days, um, and that's just not that's just South Carolina. But you know, if you are truly a student athlete, know that you have to study, that you need to put education first. That if you are a student athlete, you've been given a wonderful opportunity to receive an education. Um, that I know personally I could not have afforded if I didn't get an athletic scholarship. And so don't take that for granted. Um, maybe get a, find a good major that is going to challenge you um, and push you, um, pay attention, and uh, apply to as many law schools as you absolutely can. And, um, you know, find, find a lawyer that you know and ask that lawyer to let you be an intern, perhaps before you go to law school, so that you can see what happens on a day-in and day-out basis and make sure it's something that you want to do. You know, the problem is with an intern, though, um, you know, oftentimes these kids come to you and they come during the summertime. Well, there may not be a whole lot going on during the summertime, or it may not be um, you can't ever expose them to every single situation that you're going to come across as a lawyer. So they see the good things. They see the offices. They see the cars. They see the clothes. They see this, and they think, oh, man, all this stuff is great. This is what I want to do but they never have shown the bad side. They never shown the difficult clients. They never shown when you're stressed out having to get ready for a trial or getting ready for this because the client has paid you this money and you want to make sure you produce. So, you know, if, you, if there's something that you want to do, plan it, go at it, and never give up. Nice. Plan it, go after it, and never give up. Love it. Love it. But hey, man, we definitely. Yeah, that, I just came with that with the top of my head, Everett. I'm glad that worked out. Hey, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> hey, hey, there was never, you were never in doubt about it. I promise you that. <laughs> That's right. That's right. If anybody asks me, I should be completely wrong. But to me, it makes sense, and I'm not doubting it. <laughs> hey, man, we definitely appreciate you joining us. Um, it's been good. And we definitely want to get you back out and join us sometime uh, in the future. So, but good luck with everything. Hey, I appreciate the invite. Uh, yes, sir. Hey, you be good. And uh, we're going to do a short break, and we'll be back in a few minutes. Sounds good. good.
how's everybody doing? This is Everett Sands uh, with the West Foundation Sports Talk Show, and we're back. Uh, we just got finished speaking. And, you know, uh, Corey, we didn't even talk about the fact that um, Stanley Myers is actually on the Citadel Board of Visitors. We, we didn't even mention That's correct. That's correct. That is correct. Wow. We, we have a, uh, a great one with us. But now we are, are bringing in uh, Mrs. Zanata Donaldson so we could talk a little bit of taxes. Zanata, how's everything going? It's going pretty good. Glad to be here. Hey, glad to have you. Glad to have you. It's the beginning of the year, and some people have already been to uh, H&R Block and try to get their tax refund check. Um, but, mm-hmm. but let's talk a little bit about First of all, before we can get there, just tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay. So, again, my name is Zanata, Zanata Donaldson. I'm originally from Williston, South Carolina. And I know the uh, presenter before me, he said he was in, uh, he was from Swansea, and now they had two stoplights. Uh, he was growing up with one. Well, Williston, we still have one stoplight. So I'm a country girl myself. So, um, and then I went to Lander University in Greenwood, South Carolina. We do not have a football team, but still, uh, I do support Clemson uh, and whatnot. And, um, Got my master's in accounting, and I have my own business now in uh, Donaldson Tax and Bookkeeping Services, LLC. Now, at Donaldson Tax and Business Service, what all do you all do there? Well, Donaldson Tax and Bookkeeping Services, uh, we prepare taxes, we do bookkeeping, we do accounting projects, um, payroll business consulting. So that's kind of like sums it up. We uh, that, but it's mainly taxation and bookkeeping. Okay. Now, I imagine the bookkeeping is just like it sounds. Um, yeah. Just helping people. Now, on the taxation side, um, as I was saying earlier, you know, it's beginning of the year. Uh, some people are in a hurry to get their taxes done. Some uh, are not in a rush. Um, but just talk to us a little bit about that process, what it, you know, some of the things that we could do, that we should do, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. So I was thinking since this is more of a football station, I was going to relate it to football to give a more uh, relatable topic, as I was mentioning earlier. So as far as preparation for your taxes, and when we were in the 2020 season, and well, I'm saying season, but when we were in 2020, and that was in as, as far you really relating it to football, you know, that's the regular season. So that's the time when you should have been, you know, pre- prepping yourself, preparing, you know, keeping your receipts, uh, deciding, you know, whether you're going to do standard mileage or you're going to do actual expenses and just getting your records together. And now that we're here in the new year, which is considered playoff season, this is the time for you to, you know, it's time. You know, you really can't go back to recreate anything, so it's now it's time to get your taxes done. So um, the main thing is just preparation and just having your records, receipts, statements, and whatnot as far as your business uh, together. Now, you said something about standard mileage versus what? Standard mileage, and these are for my – this is really for my business owners, uh, when you have um, business, a lot of 
a lot of clients or a lot of business owners, you know, if they do not know, you have standard mileage to keep up with your mileage or you can have actual expenses. And I try to let uh, small business owners know this ahead of time so they can prepare and not, you know, lose out on anything before. So you can either claim standard mileage when you do things and travel for your business, wherever it may be, or you can do actual expenses where um, over a five-year period your car can depreciate. You can count that depreciation. You can count your fuel when you, you know, do any type of traveling for your business. Car maintenance, repairs, car washes, anything pertaining to that car, it is a business expense. So, but you have to do either or. And like I said, that is the preparation time, like in regular season, but you really want to plan that ahead because when you do the standard mileage, it's best to have like a log. So you can write, you know, your mileage and whatnot, what the start, what the end. And, of course, just coming from an audit background, too, if you were ever audited, the main thing they're going to look at, okay, what's your dominant reasonable? And you can always go to if you um, got your oil done to see what that is. But I, those are the two methods for county knowledge or actual methods. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Every, I'm sorry. So, so I was, I was going to just ask a question. I, actually, I work for a local bank, and I've mm-hmm. been working from home since March, of, as many of my coworkers have. And I know this is probably a question that you probably get a lot today, but any high-level tips for those that are working from home? I, I, I have an office area but not a dedicated office space. So are there any, any tips at a high level that you can recommend as far as um, you know, any deductions I can take for equipment purchase, uh, you know, printers, uh, laptops, anything of that nature? Well, that's a good question because before the, um, before the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act of 2017, which other people refer that before Trump got into, well, when Trump got into office and the tax laws um, came about, if you did work for an employer and you're considered as a W-2, and if your employer did not reimburse you of anything, then this was the time for you to um, claim that on your taxes. So when the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act came into play, all of that was eliminated. So it's kind of like um, it kind of hurts, you know, individuals. Like you say, you work at a bank, so you're a W-2 employee in a sense. So if you're counting those expenses or whatnot and you're expensed because of the covid it's really nothing you can really do at this time unless Congress appeals that and they bring that back to the forefront, considering a lot of people had to work on work at home, use their own expenses. But, no, that was eliminated when that came about because the first time you saw that was in 2018. A lot of contractors or individuals like yourself missed out. Uh, and like myself, I was a contractor at one time, so um, none of all of that was eliminated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But if you have so, your own business, I'm sorry, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Well, but if you say, have your own business, uh-huh. Go ahead, keep going. You're good. Okay. If you have your own business, though, and you work from home and you're not, then, of course, you can count the home home office expense where uh, it's basically the percentage of your overall house. Um, and divided by the area, your business office, where your office, home office, in your house, and get that square footage. And whatever that percentage is, you can count it against anything pertaining to your home. So 
that can your electricity, any utilities. Um, I use a homeowners association, security, home, um, American Home Shield, anything that uh, hits your house, hits your home office. And that's only if you're a business owner. But like I said, if you're a regular W-2, unfortunately, when Trump, uh, when President Trump came into office and with the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, that eliminated a lot of um, help for that type of situation now. If you're a 1099 employee, does that make you self-employed? or? Is... Yes, absolutely. If you receive a 1099, and, and I would say this, if you are a 1099 employee, uh, I'm sorry, not employee, but if you receive a 1099 miscellaneous form, that converts to a Schedule C. And basically that is you will, um, whatever revenue and whatever expenses pertaining to that type of industry or income or that job, you can deduct. Yeah. So, I just, I'm sorry, I just noticed. Y'all didn't even not laugh at my relatable football. You know, I really practice hard for that. <laughs> I mean, seriously. I practice hard to try to relate it. Y'all just kind of like glance over it. Okay. okay. <laughs> it fit in so we didn't have to, uh, you know, harp on that. It just fit. Right. Right. Okay. I tried. Uh, You were talking about that Trump and the tax cuts, you know, and when we, (laughs) during the election, I kept hearing about how we gave all these tax cuts. I don't remember seeing a tax cut. Um, So why didn't I feel, why did some people not feel the tax cut? Well, actually, that's a good question. Actually, some people felt it more in their pay in their um in their payroll paycheck every two weeks because what changed was the tax bracket. So therefore, the tax brackets expanded. So therefore, I'm just going to give an example. Before it was um, now the tax bracket is ten ten percent, twelve percent, twenty two percent, twenty four percent. 32, 35, and 37%. That's the new tax brackets. And before, you have the 10%, 12%, the 25%. So the thing is, when they expand the tax bracket, you may now, within uh, your salary, you before you probably was a 25% tax in the tax bracket. But once they expanded the um, field of the, um, see, I said field. If they expanded the field, the width of the tax bracket before you was a 25, and now when they changed it, now you could fit in a 22. So therefore, the 22% is giving you more money because it's less, uh, it's a less hit on you versus before, you know, the change you were at a 25% tax bracket. So then you got a little bit of more money in your, um, in your pocket, and that's more on the W2. And some other things that may have changed, and you have to think about, and I, and I tend to tell my clients this, Congress make laws for business owners. It really is not beneficial for W-2 earners. Just think about it. I mean, you make, really the laws really benefit when you have a business, not when you, because when you're a W-2 earner, which is great, you have all those benefits, but the thing is you're, you're confined to, you know, you, you make this money, you take out taxes, and that's it. Really no expenses. Because like I said before, you if you did 
expense something and your employer did not reimburse you, you were able to do it on a 2106 form and get your money back, you know. But now, you know, when you have a business, you are allowed to, it's more flexibility, you know. So even though you make your income, and I always tell my clients, you in the field, you in the, you receive, you got your business to make money, but the thing is you want to pay your fair share of taxes too, but you have more flexibility to, to kind of, you know, move those things around and kind of hit your own tax bracket in a sense. Right now, um, is that how President Trump was able to only pay $750 in taxes because he was a business owner? Just Yes, in a sense, because, again, you got to think about it. So when you have all these bankruptcies and all these losses and stuff before, you can carry over a loss over, I think at the time, it was 20 years or indefinite. So just think if you have a loss of $5 million, you are able to lower your tax liability over, continue to carry it forward, carry it forward, carry it forward, versus, you know, um, it's, it's unfortunate, and then you have all these um, offshore, putting them in different accounts. And just think about it, going back to football or just celebrity, what is the main thing, and I'm going to ask you this question, when you're rich, what's the main thing that rich people have? You, they always have some type of foundation. Just think about it. They always have some type of foundation. If you're a celebrity, you've got a foundation of helping the kid. You have a foundation of something because it's really a circulation of your own money where you're writing things off to circulate, but you're still, it's still benefiting you in a sense. I never thought of it that way. Hmm. <laughs> Now, let me ask this question. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Since we talked about everybody should, if you're a W-2 employee, you're missing a lot of write-offs. Um, should everybody have a side business? Should, should everybody get into a network marketing deal or some type of side business just so they can have some things that they can write off? Well, that's a twofold because, again, you're in a business to make money and you want to pay your fair share. But the thing is, and then after a period of time, you know, if you're constantly at a loss, the IRS can look at this and say, okay, you're not trying to make any money. You're just manipulating the, the, the system. So I'm going to change this to a hobby. So it just, it, it will help because, again, it lowers the taxable liability. That's why, again, a lot of, a lot of high earners, they get into real estate. They get into, uh, mainly it's real estate they get into because, again, it gives you that flexibility as if you got your own home. So you still have that flexibility. So the answer to your question, in a sense, yes. And it's so, yeah, in a sense, yes, because, again, you have that flexibility of what to write off and to help you, and then it leverages your personal side, too, where that W-2 is at. So, and, again, high earners, they usually have something where, they they really into real estate. A lot of doctors and whatnot, they're doing something, or that's why they give so much money to um, foundations. They, you know, uh, all these millions and millions of dollars are a great thing, but, again, that's a write-off on their personal taxes where it's a circulation, no matter how you put it. Yep. It's good. Yeah. If we, have, if we have any of those high earners that want to get a tax write-off, the West Foundation is here to definitely help you out. Yes, because, again, once you donate your money, 
you know, that's a tax write-off for you. And then that's lowering, lowering your tax taxable income. All right. Now, um, um, my interest is right here. You have my interest. You're saying a lot of high earners get into real estate. Why real estate? Mm-hmm. What is so why real estate? Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Say that again. I'm sorry. Yeah. Why real estate? What is so good about real estate? Well, real estate is similar to um, if you were to look at a schedule. So, you know, real estate is similar to because you still have your income, but now you still have your expenses still. You still have um, – you know, your fees, your management fees, your travel, your meals, you still have some of the same expenses as if you had your own business, but just in a different industry. So the cost in a sense is basically the same. Okay. So just investing in real estate sort of still allows me to have a lot of the same write-offs if I had another business, because it is a business. Yep. Um, yes, if you yes, if you were to compare a schedule C to a compare to a schedule E, you can see the expenses that you can write off as well. And they're similar expenses because again, you're going to have the supplies, you're doing a lot of repairs, you can do a lot of depreciation as well. Um because if you're in real estate and then uh you you know, you're depreciating these homes, you know, over a 27-year period. So all this appreciation over our home, and just think if some of your tenants are not there or not living in the, at least you continue to keep it up, that is not any fault of yours, but those are expenses as well. Yes, you do not have a tenant in the home, and yes, you want a tenant in the home because, again, you want to make money, but in the same realm of things, there are still expenses because you still have to keep up the property and everything. So, yeah. Now, would an Airbnb fit in that same type of deal? An Airbnb, in a sense, yes, um, because again, you still have your income and you still have your expenses, and that's where you will put Airbnb with um, real. Yes, yeah, yes, yeah. yep. Okay. okay. Now, you know, I'm just an average guy. I'm not that high income earner that you're talking about. Um, so. What kind of things can I do to minimize my tax bill? Or did the the tax bill that, that Trump did sort of wipe everything out? Or is there anything I can do to help minimize my tax bill? Well, if you, okay, and you're just a W-2 earner, um, and like I said, W-2 earners are confined to a lot of things. And also I would like to note um, what people were doing before, and I'm just I'm going to come back to your question you know, what people were doing before just so they can get more money on a W-4 when you have your exemptions. A lot of people used to do non-exempt or they'll have 9 to 10 or 11 exemptions so they can get more money out of their check. But then during tax season, they never switched over. So, therefore, you had less taxes taken out but all this money, and then when tax time came, you had so much money to pay out. So that was their way, in a sense, to get more money. So that's not recommended, but the new W-4, they restructure it to prevent that. So once you do, once you grandfather in some companies, they still let you do that, but once you start a job in 2020, you are now confined to how that form is. And it's hard for you to, I hate to say, but manipulate and go back and forth with, you know, allowances to keep switching. But to get to your question, um, 
is hard because, again, you're still confined unless you, you know, um, I would say before several years ago, they you could do the traditional RA and what your contributions were, but now if you have already a, uh, a vehicle, retirement vehicle, you cannot do it. So it's just kind of hard when you just have a W-2. And then also with the Tax Cuts and Job Act, when you had when you used to itemize, that made it very hard because now, for example, in 2019, if you did merit filing jointly, your standard deduction is twenty four thousand. Before the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, your standard deduction was twelve thousand. So let's go pre Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, and you were able to itemize because you probably had your home interest at 7000 And by the time you put in your um, car taxes and all these contributions to nonprofit organizations and, you know, all these other taxes that, you know, to, to build up your itemization, you exceeded your 12000 and then that right. continued to reduce the taxable income. So when the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act came, and plus, not only standard deduction was at 12000 but you were able to use an exemption, like an exemption per individual in your family was like $4,000. So it was very beneficial for you. So when Tax Cuts and Jobs Act came, they increased the standard deduction, so merit filing jointly is now 24000 So it made it very hard for families to exceed that amount. So now you probably got your itemization up to sixteen thousand, and then your car two or three thousand, and then you know they they restricted the taxes to ten thousand dollars. So it's like it was a lot of restrictions on itemization, and then they eliminated your exemption. So in twenty eighteen, a lot of families in it was hurting because now it was they were paying back, even though the it was kind of even out, but it really hurt. It helped individuals, but like with families, nuclear families, it really hurts. But just go back to your question and answer, it's hard just with a W-2 unless you have some type of something to do that flexibility, like a, a, a little a little side hustle or something. Religion, yeah. Side hustles are encouraged to help with your taxes. Yeah. Yes, it is. It is. I would say as long as you, and then it's the passion behind it because, again, within the first five years or whatnot or the first three years, it really not count against you because you're just like in your research and development era where you mainly investing in your business. And what I tend to tell clients, too, when they have a business, always think about what what are you doing now as a personal expense that you can convert to a business expense where you don't want to go out and create expenses to lower your taxable income. I wouldn't recommend that. But if you know you already, you know, have expenses and you can convert it to a business expense knowing that, okay, I can use this for my business, you already going to do the expense anyway. So you have to change your mindset too. And I can give you an example. If you know you already have gatherings for family and friends at your home, but now you have a business and this is a perfect opportunity to talk about your business amongst your family and friends, why not turn that into a business expense? You have all the people and you never know someone there could say, hey, man, I may need some of your, you know, your, your, your business, your service. 
And guess what? Your main thing is the pursuit of income. It doesn't matter where you are. Your goal as a business owner to pursue any type of to pursue income for your business. So guess what? Now that all that inf- all the food and whatnot that you purchased for this gathering, you don't made it into a business gathering in a sense because you spoke about your business and now you had a potential client. So that is partially a, a rightful write-off. Now, do I have to speak about my business for a certain amount of time, or just speaking about it makes it a business expense? I would say you you want it doesn't. I would I recommend it at least thirty minutes and get the interest of the people, so you can really talk about your business and provide some type of notation. Yes, and then I mean, you know, and then again, you want to, and again, as far as advertising and whatnot, but now you're in a setting that you could have had a proposition with someone. So I wouldn't say there's any a time frame or whatnot because, hey, someone may be interested and you start talking and then, you know, this is a perfect time because, again, even in that setting, that personal expense became a business expense. Okay. All right. Nice. Now, last question, um, mm-hmm. which – as tax season starts, um, and we start thinking not just about this year's taxes but next year's taxes, what advice would you give everybody? I would say individuals, individuals, I would just say continue to uh, be prepared because, again, um, being prepared, having your stuff together, having receipts and whatnot. But like I said, with the Tax Cut and Jobs Act, it really can find a lot of W-2 earners. It's so much you can do besides your W-2, your family or whatnot. It's really uh, uh, off the shelf in a sense. It's becoming really off the shelf. Once you really start having your own business, that's when you can just keep up with your receipts. I just posted something on my website where now the IRS is ramping up on audits. Uh, so that is a that's a thing for business owners. They're doing 50% more audits in 2021 this year. So you want to make sure, and that going back to the regular season, you want to make sure you still keep up with proper record keeping and whatnot. Because again, it doesn't. I think the intimidation with some business owners where I don't want to get in trouble with the IRS or whatnot because I have all these expenses. The thing is, as long as you can evidence your totals. As long as you have those expenses, you're in your fair right. So it doesn't matter. As an auditor speaking as well, um, and I know Sans and Cindy can um, attest to this, as long as you're within your rights and you have your receipts and you can evidence your total, it doesn't matter. And, yes, and as long as you evidence anything, uh, I would just say do proper record keeping. Pay your estimated quarterly taxes. A lot of things, and I know I'm almost out of time, but this I always preach on this. For business owners, please, if you do not have another retirement vehicle, any type of RA, you have to still be mindful of your estimated quarterly taxes because, again, you have to think estimated quarterly taxes funnel to your Social Security. So if you just want to think about reduction, 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 what are you putting back into the system for Social Security? And I think I I really want to get into the mindset of business owners, too. You have to think, far in advance, too, where make sure you have a retirement vehicle in place, not just because, again, once you move from the the employer, the corporate America, and to the business side, you now own and you have to have many hats on where you have to be responsible for all of this. 
So you can't forget, and you have to just be responsible. Um, so record keeping, pay your estimate quarterly taxes, network, you know, like I said, just change your mindset, turning personal expenses into business expenses, and make sure you, you know, consult with someone on a constant basis to make sure you are going in the right direction with anything with your yeah. own business. Great, great, great. Well, hey, it was definitely good, and uh, we definitely would love to get you back on sometime um, so we can get into more depth uh, just talking about from a business perspective. Uh, but we definitely appreciate you joining us tonight, and uh, we definitely look forward to getting you back on again sometime soon. Thank you. All right. All right. All right, hey, we're going to take a short break, and we'll be back in a few seconds, or a few minutes, excuse me.
with those versatile styles. For me, Miles, it's DJ Trebex. Thanks, thanks, thanks. Hey, how's everybody doing? This is Everett Sands with the West Foundation. I have my man, Corey Brown, here with me. And uh, we are having a great show so far. And we are definitely... Um, uh, nope. Yep, I'm sorry. Um, we are getting ready to... Uh, Go on, let's talk a little bit. Um, we're going to change shift gears just a little bit. We're waiting on uh, one of our guests. Uh, but we're going to talk a little bit about this Alabama and Notre Dame game. Now, Corey, did you watch the whole game? Yeah, yeah. I don't, don't, I hope I'm not stepping on any toes. Any opportunity I get to see um, where I, I, I know can see the Notre Dame. <laughs> Yeah, I know you're not a dude. I, I, I watched. <laughs> I watched. And, and, and when when my boy jumped over that DB, I just had to start laughing. <laughs> Hurdle him. I, yes, sir. I, I've seen guys jump over people before, and, you know, then they get tackled. Yeah. He jumped over in stride and got another 40 yards. I think the thing that impressed me most about that particular play was when they did the replay from the backside, how high the yeah. defender was. It wasn't like the defender was going at his knees <laughs> or his shin. The yeah. defender was almost like chest high. You know, he, yeah. in my opinion, he, he was diving, but he go late, and the guy still hurtled him. It was so amazing. <laughs> exactly. I made it. I haven't seen anything where they measured how high he was, but he was up there. He was pretty high. Yeah. He was pretty high. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 I mean, you got three Heisman top five finalists on, on that team. And it was that was pretty impressive. It was pretty impressive. And, hey, do you, uh, see now, I, then, do you see all those guys? Like, uh, if you're looking at them now, do you think with they, do you believe they'll be what you think they'll be at the next level? Based on how they're dominating well, at the college level. Well, you know, one, that's a great question. I think the the, the uh, Smith's going to be, he's going to be really good because he's got some really good hands. He can get in and out of his breaks really well. Uh, I think Najee's going to be really good. Um my question is is uh, on the quarterback because this is his first year starting. You know, one of the, I truly believe that the better quarterbacks in the league are your group of five guys, and I say that because they had more experience in college. So because they had more experience, when they got to the NFL, you know, they already had a a, a lot of experience, so they were more successful earlier versus most of the power five guys. They only were a starting quarterback for a year, two at the most. That's true. That's true. And so that experience factor to me is huge. So with him only having this one year, um, mm-hmm. and I think he's got enough years. I don't think he's coming out right now. 
but if he was coming out right now, I would I would wonder because there's still a lot he hasn't seen um, from a actual play perspective. So, right. But I think right. I, mean, I think now you can. And it, it, it kind of makes me wonder, and I don't mean to jump off the subject, but it kind of makes me wonder if that's what happened with Haskins as well, because Haskins with Washington only had the one year um, starting there right. at, at Ohio State. Um, and it just at, at any point that we've seen him over the last year or so, it just didn't, just didn't look like he was ready. You know? So I agree right. with your point right. there. Yeah, and that's experience. You know, and, and this is something I, I've sort of picked up that I think is true. You know, they often say experience is the best teacher. Um, mm-hmm. But I think it's only the best teacher if I learn from it. True. And there's times that people go through something, but they don't learn anything from it, so they didn't, that, that wasn't a great teacher for them. So experience is a great teacher when I learn from it. And, uh, yep. and I think it's a good Experience is a huge factor in how I'm going to perform at the next level. Right. Right. Now, now, I will say, did you believe that Notre Dame should have been there in that spot? Or did you think that should have been Texas A&M or another program? I thought thought Texas A&M, because, again, they had a loss to to Alabama, but Texas A&M got better as the year. Um, and that was opening day. Um, so, to me, opening day, there's so many factors in there. Um, but I wanted to love to see them uh, be in the mix. And I thought Texas A&M should have been there. Um, but, now, I will say that uh, the Notre Dame running back had a pretty good day. Clemson was able to shut him down, um, but he had a pretty good day against them. And then you have to also ask the question, if Trevor Lawrence was healthy, mm-hmm. would Notre Dame beat Clemson the first time around? So I don't think so. Clemson would have beat him, Texas A&M would have been in there. That's true. That is true. I agree. I agree. Uh, my, I think my biggest issue there, Eric, was uh, – was that, um, I, you know, I, I think if we're talking truth and logic, I guess my biggest issue was around that time was how Notre Dame fans just kind of glossed over the fact that Trevor Lawrence didn't play that game. You know, it, it was uh, it was a great accomplishment, and it's great to beat Clemson. It is. But to beat them without their best tool, mm-hmm. kind of have to put an asterisk yep. by, that, by that victory. Yeah. So, yeah, exactly. And then they had a, they had some defensive players that was out as well. That's um, true. And so that was neither here nor there. But but now the Ohio hey, there was State. A, there was a quick question for you before you. Hey, during that game, there was there were linebackers, sorry linebackers. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I'm sorry, but we'll, we'll talk about. It. I guess we're going to go to the the next segment. I saw a couple times over the weekend where there were some players ejected. I know we'll get to that. I, I think you're you heading down that path here shortly. That were ejected because they were they were leaving the crowd of the helmet and just kind of wanted to get your take on that to see what you thought about. It. One of them was that um, Clemson game, which I think it did affect their defense because it was their basically their leader, their starting line linebacker, their their field general. But I, I, again, I didn't mean to interrupt. I know you'll probably end up getting to that later. 
Yep, yep, yep. But um, I think that we just got a call in from uh, Mr. Mason Zandi. Mason, how's everything going? Coach Sands, it's going well. How are you? I'm doing well, man. I'm doing well. The word on the street is that the twins had you occupied. They did. They did. Yeah, bedtime and and dinner time can be time consuming, and all of a sudden lose track of time. So I do apologize for my tardiness. It's all good. It's all good. See, uh, now Mason, I have my co-host on, uh, Mr. Uh, uh, Corey Brown. He actually played with me at the Citadel. Corey, say hello to Mason. Hey, how are you, Mason? Corey, I'm well. Thank you for asking. Now, for those of you that don't know, um, and we're going to let Mason tell a little bit about himself, um, but Mason was a offensive lineman for the Gamecocks. Mason, you graduated in what year? I graduated in 2016. 2016, okay. But while we got you, go on and tell a little bit about your background. So I uh, I'm, was born and raised in Chapin, South Carolina. Uh, I was a two-sport athlete in high school. I didn't play basketball, despite my height. I'm uh, six foot nine, but um, was track and field and football, and went on to play football at University of South Carolina. Uh, played under uh, Coach Sands for four years, and um, after after football was done at South Carolina, I was a undrafted free agent to Los to Los Angeles Chargers. Uh, was there for long enough to have a cup of coffee, and then. Um, after that, I uh, entered into the professional world, uh, married my married my uh, college sweetheart, and now we have two beautiful daughters. So that is the last uh, ten years in a nutshell. Nice, nice. And your daughters are how old now? And they're twins. And yep, twins they're uh, ten months. Ten months. Ten months. Oh, so you just getting started? Yes. <laughs> so I'm gonna tell you, I'm gonna tell you what uh, Coach Bleemer told me, and, and you don't know Coach Bleemer, but Corey does. Mm-hmm. Coach Bleemer told me cause he's got two girls. He said, Everett, uh, don't worry about saving for your retirement. Go on and start <laughs> saving for your daughter. <laughs> <laughs> saving for that win. That's the one that's going to hit you over your head. Oh, man. I'm not looking forward to that at all. (laughs) (laughs) Now, uh, your time at UFC, we we won some games when you were there. We won some games. We won won our share of games. Um, What was one of the biggest things that you took from that experience while you was at USC? Some of the biggest biggest things I took away – it's a great question. Yeah, honestly, it'd probably be uh, work ethic and facing adversity. Because, like you said, uh, we did win some ball games, but uh, the middle part of my career, we also lost a good amount of ball games. Um, so, just being on that up, up and down, and, and understanding how to how to handle that and how to attack it is uh, is, is my biggest thing that I took away. Right, right. The uh, now, let me ask this. So you had three years with Spurrier? Four years with Spurrier and one year with Muschamp. One year with Muschamp. What was the differences between Spurrier and Muschamp? 
I think the leadership style is different. Um, Coach Muschamp takes the approach of uh, we're going to we're going to work 18 hours a day uh, and just outwork our competition, and and, and that's just the, the mentality that we're going to have. Whereas Coach Spurrier, I think, you know, took a took not a, not a relaxed approach, but more of a uh, free flowing, creative way. Uh, I, I think that was really important. One thing that I noticed that was a little bit, there's a, a lot of it different was Coach Spurrier was a lot more family oriented. Uh, you know, Coach, I've, I've met your wife, your kids, I've been over to your house. Um, mm-hmm. Same thing with Coach Elliott and, and a lot of the other coaches that were on the on staff with you. So it was uh, a little bit different. I didn't have that same connection with some of the coaches that he brought in and, and it wasn't the same family oriented space. Which uh, you know, it's not it's not a knock or 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 a negative. It's just a difference. Exactly, exactly. And everybody does it differently. Everybody does it differently. But here's one of the things that uh, you know, when, when Spurrier was there, we used to have family dinner on Wednesday nights, and uh, never forget uh, one of the things that Coach said. Because I, I was like, Coach, I really appreciate you know the opportunity to uh, have the family over and us spending time with them. He said, Everett, remember this. I never want to outwork anybody, but I want to outprepare everybody. And that's sort of, in a nutshell, kind of his mentality. I'm gonna, out, I want to outprepare you, but I'm not gonna stay here all night to do it. And uh, which is, yeah. is definitely, a, a, and again, I think it goes a lot to, uh, from a coaching perspective, who you came up under, is is kind of how you develop that philosophy. And uh, and so. I and mean, that was kind of Coach Spurrier's deal. But, yeah. But you definitely had opportunities to win some games, and it was it did get tough there when, when Coach retired. You know, it, was, it was really tough. It was like every game we were right there, we just couldn't figure out how to pull it out. Yeah, that was – I mean, you're right. I was, I was looking back on that season, I know everything kind of gets looked at as a final tally. But if you actually, like you said, go back and look at those games, we lost – like six games, about seven points or less. Yep. So exactly. To, to your exactly. point, Every time. very close, just couldn't yeah. finish. Yep. It could have been. It could have went either way. We could have easily, you know, won ten games that year. Yeah. And uh, and I think a lot of times, and I think this is true in life as well. Momentum plays a, a big part of it, and. And I think that's what had happened in in uh, the previous year as well. I don't know if you remember when we lost to uh, Missouri when we was up by twelve with eight minutes to go, and then we ended up losing Kentucky the same way um, a couple of weeks later. When momentum starts going, at times you sort of get in your mind, okay, here we go again. Versus, okay, let's put it behind us, and we're going to make things be a little different. Um, so the mind is, is definitely a strong thing, and, and if we can get our mindset right, you can overcome a lot of that adversity versus allowing it to happen again. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with that. Now, they, uh, you know, the high coach beam over at USC, now he was gone before you got there. Um, but, but what kind mm-hmm. of things are you expecting him to bring into uh, the Gamecocks? 
One thing that I've, I've noticed just in some of the hires that he's made, he hired uh, Eric Kimmery from Hammond, uh, a former Gamecock quarterback. He's keeping Connor Shaw on staff, another former Gamecock quarterback. Um, one of the things that I'm expecting and, I, and I'm, I'm starting to pick up on is he wants to change the culture back to uh, where it was in 2010, 2011, 2012, where uh, the players and coaches – played and coached for the name on the front of their shirt, not the name on the back. And, and I thought that was very important. I, can, I remember being around, being a freshman and seeing DJ Swearinger in the locker room. He never once talked about how great DJ Swearinger is. He, he always talked about how great his defense was and and just in, uh, how great it is to play at the University of South Carolina. And those, those guys, when you can match that kind of commitment, work ethic, and love for team with talent you you produce 11 and two seasons uh and you're and you're one score one possession away from playing in atlanta but that's yeah. that's more or less what i'm what i'm looking for uh, from coach beamer is to unify the football organization um and and the players and that's gonna he's gonna win the locker room and that's gonna take a lot of effort it's gonna take a lot of time to build that trust and and you know i certainly hope that we give it to him um but at the end of the day, you know, as you know, we live in a results-oriented business, and he's going to have to produce and change the and, and change the locker room at the same time, which is very, very difficult. It is, it is, it is. But it can be done. It can be done. And I think that uh, you know, one of the things that was able to be done um, during that early time period he was there. Um, which from what I understand they are doing a good job of, is they won the state. The better players in South Carolina um, stayed in South Carolina and, and played for the University of South Carolina. And uh, I think if they can get back to, to that, that would definitely help as well. So, as always, recruiting is a big part of it. It's always a big Absolutely. part of it. The, um, now, um, just get your perspective. You, you know, you said you had a cup of coffee. What was that experience like with your cup of coffee in the league? <laughs> um, it's very different. Uh, I wish I had been a little bit older and a little bit more mature or, or been more exposed to the professionalism that is that has taken place there um uh, it, it is it is a team game but it's a it's a team of individuals and not in the sense that yeah. folks are selfish or they don't play for the right reasons because they do and there's a lot of good people that i met while i was there but it, it, it's a business at the end of the day um and players can be cut players can be let go for not a lack of talent, but it could be a numbers thing. It could be, hey, we want to get rid of you because we need to get some room to hunt, to take on somebody else. <clears throat> and that was a that was a situation that I wasn't accustomed to. Um, you know, playing in college is very, very different. It's especially for a university like the University of South Carolina. I, I loved from day one. So really, I. I I would do anything just to be in that, be in those meetings, be in those, be in that locker room. Um, it was just, it was very different. It was much more professional. It was much more cutthroat. Uh, when I was cut, uh, I had a guy come to, they called him the Grim Reaper. He came to my locker and just said, "Hey Mason, bring your, uh, bring your tablet upstairs." And 
uh, I met a gentleman, I don't even remember his name. He just said, uh, Mason, would you like to take the, the red-eye flight or you want to fly out in the morning? We're going to let you go. I was like, whoa. <laughs> that was not something I was used to. Wow. So being, being fired that quickly was uh, was an eye-opening experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, the uh, and, and again, a lot of people that, that had opportunity to get to a camp, including myself, um, got met by the Green River at some point in time. And, uh, <laughs> and it's, it's not, I promise you, it's not fun. You know, for me, it was better. They let us go. We went. It was the last day of camp. Um, they let us watch film. So we went and watched practice film. Because right after practice, we'll go in and we'll watch special teams. So we watched practice film. And as I was coming out, they saying, come here. Oh, man. So, yeah, I can relate to that. I can relate. <laughs> I can definitely. I like it. And, and, and the crazy thing is the Grim Reaper where I was, I was in Baltimore CFL team, was, was Jim Pop, who was actually at the Citadel my freshman and sophomore year as a GA. So he went from GA to GM in four years. Um, but he was wow. a grim reaper. And uh, so it didn't make it any easier with it being somebody that I knew. But but one of the things that we're trying to do um, here at the West Foundation is help kids understand that they can still be successful without being a professional athlete. Um, so you had a cup of coffee there. Um, you're in a successful business now. What advice would you give uh, to a young student athlete that has aspirations of making it to uh, being a professional player? Something that yeah, what I would tell somebody or what I, what I would even tell myself is what you're going to do on a day-to-day, your workouts, your practice, and then your games will take care of that professional career. If, if you have what it takes in those four or five, three, four or five years that you're developing at the university of your choice, you will be able to get to the next level. The NFL is so, uh, and not just the NFL, but any professional sport is so advanced. Their recruiting is so high. Their scouting is so high. They'll find you. What I would encourage young student athletes to do is to develop other parts of their lives and uh, take as many internships as you can. It may be a couple extra hours out of your week. And you may not get that. You may not be able to get that midday nap, but the exposures that you'll get doing that, and uh, the network that you're going to build in a city that or a town that you're living in, that's what's really going to propel you uh, for the next 30, 40, 50 years of your life. Uh, I'll tell you firsthand when I got cut, uh, the importance of maintaining that that connection with your alumni association or your letterman association is massive. I know. You guys are Citadel grads, and, and I live in Charleston now, and trust me, I don't go a day without seeing that big ring. So it's it's a brotherhood, and it's the same thing uh, uh, at the University of South Carolina. When, when I was cut, I got a job working with Ryan Brewer, a South Carolina running back who owned his own fence company. Just kind of picked me up off the street, taught, taught me a lot of stuff, learned a ton, of, a ton, of, uh, ton about business, uh, and then was able to kind of – get my thoughts together and, and, and put a plan and move forward with something that I thought I'd be interested in. So that would be my piece of advice is to, is what you're doing every day is going to take care of the professional sports. That's going to happen where the extra effort has to come in 
is where you want to be in the next 30 years. Because like you said, Coach, at any point, everybody sees the Grim Reaper, whether it's 10 days, 10 weeks, or 10 years, you're going to see the Grim Reaper. Um, and what you do when that's when he comes around is important. That is so true. That is so true. And um, one of the things we, we actually addressed, um, which is, it could be a, a deal all by itself, is how, unfortunately, some people see themselves as the football player or whatever sport that is instead of amazing Zandy who plays football. And, and then I think that also has an effect on that whole mindset um, which, like I said, that's that's a whole other topic uh, from a mental wellness standpoint that we could talk about. But, but hey, we appreciate you joining us tonight, and uh, glad it was able to get you on, even though the the babies had you tied up for a little while. But we definitely appreciate you getting on, and and we still want to try to get you down for our camp this summer. You know, I've been trying to get you down uh, for a couple of years. Hopefully, we can get you down for the camp this year. Yes, sir. Absolutely. I appreciate you having me. Hey, you have a good one, and we'll talk to you soon. We're going to listen to a a little bit of mix right here, and we'll be back in a few minutes. Hold on.
how's everybody doing? This is Everett Sands of the West Foundation Sports Talk Show, and I got a special group of guests tonight. Uh, I got a couple of guys that I had opportunities to coach with, and then we got one more that I, I had opportunity to play for. Um, I have Kenny Carter as the young buck, and then we got uh, Marty Long, and then the man with the plan, Keith Jones. Welcome, guys. Welcome. <laughs> My pleasure. Thank you, Eric. It's good to be here, man. My pleasure. Glad that we can have you all on. Glad we can have you on. Uh, now, uh, Keith, um, you going to tell us a little bit about uh, about yourself, where you're from, where you coach, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I'm from uh, originally from Charleston, South Carolina. I'm a hometown guy. Uh, I star. I went to Bishop England High School there, and graduated, and then went on to the Citadel. Uh, my first teaching job and coaching job was at Bishop England High School with uh, Coach Jack Caddy, uh, who, who we lost back in the uh, back in uh, back in February. Uh, great guy, and I uh, was able to uh, get on with Coach Willie Jeffries as a grad assistant at uh, South Carolina State. And Coach Jeffries' birthday is today, so I spoke with him. Uh, I'm sorry, yesterday. So I spoke with him earlier. Yes, spoke with him on yesterday, and he's doing well. From there, I went to North Carolina A&T. I uh, was there for a year. Then I went to Murray State University with uh, Coach Beamer, Frank Beamer and stayed with him for 12 years, six at Murray and six at Virginia Tech. And I went back into uh, high school ball with the head high school coach at Potomac High School in Dumfries, Virginia. Then I went back to A&T for a year with Bill Hayes. Uh, after that, back to the Citadel, uh, where I coached for six years. And I spent 14 years at Naval Academy, and I finished up my last two years with Buddy Pugh at South Carolina State. Marty Long, how about you? Give us a little bit of your background. <laughs> How's it going, Everett? Good, good, good. Uh, hey, man, um, uh, uh, I went to uh, Northwestern High School, graduated there in 1982, and uh, graduated from Citadel in 86. Started that coaching career um, at Western Kentucky and in, in 86, and um, from there, um, I came back to the Citadel in G8 and coached there um, for seven years, and then I had two years um, at um, the Baltimore Stallions CFL, um, where I had an opportunity to coach Everett Sands and Lester Smith. And then I had eight years at the University of Arizona, three years uh, at the University of Nevada, and one year at Washington State, and the last 13 years, I've been here at Northwestern University over in the Big Ten, and uh, just really enjoying ball, man. Hey, great win against Auburn. Great win against Auburn. Great <laughs> well, I appreciate it. And uh, I know we, we normally um, get together during the convention, um, so we're going to have to get together sometime so you can get dinner. Well, that sounds good because uh, the winner of the bowl game is the one that normally pays for it, and I'm excited to be able to pay for that one, okay? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Tell us a little of your background. I am from uh, Camden, South Carolina, 
and uh, graduated from the Citadel in uh, 1990. Um, uh, Marty Long was actually there uh, when I got there my knob year. Um, as I transitioned into coaching, I started as a graduate assistant at the Citadel. Um, then I went to Furman University. And, and really, uh, when I came back to the Citadel, it was a something that was really championed and facilitated by Marty uh, to get me back there. Um, was there for about 10 years and then uh, went from there to LSU, uh, from LSU to University of Pittsburgh, University of Pittsburgh to Penn State, Penn State to Vanderbilt, uh, Vanderbilt, University of Florida, University of Florida to Louisville, uh, Louisville to Youngstown State, uh, Youngstown State to Delaware State, where I was a head coach. Um, then from um, Delaware State to uh, South Florida, uh, and then um, now I am uh, in management at Amazon. Now you've been around. <laughs> yes, I have, sir. Yes, I have. Oh uh, yeah, but hey, you had a lot of a lot of good years in there too. The, uh, hey, let me tell you something. Now, and, and, hey, for me, for me, you talking about all these people we got together? Keith Jones, Keith yeah. Jones. How many, how many great uh, lunch meetings did we have at Bessinger's and Taste of New Orleans while we were at the Citadel? <laughs> oh, hey. about fifteen pounds worth for me. <laughs> hey. No doubt about it. You know, hey, when I go when I go to Charleston, it's kind of like I got to find a way to get the Bessinger's. Oh, for sure. Even on I got to get the messengers. So it is, and get that onion in. So, but <laughs> one. Now, now I, I actually had a chance to. I played with Kenny my freshman year. Um, coached with him briefly, only for about a month or two. Um, had opportunity to coach with Keith, uh, but. But Marty Long is the reason why I went to the Citadel. And uh, he's the guy that recruited me and, and brought me to the Citadel. So I guess I, I know everybody else on this call except for my brother because of Marty Long. So, Marty, thank you. <laughs> well, you're blessed, and uh, and you deserve every bit of it, Everett. Um, of all the guys that I've recruited, I think, you may be the most special. And a lot of guys are, are, are upset at me for saying that right now, but uh, you were my first, okay? And you never forget your first. You sat down in that weight room and you gave me your transcript, and I don't think it had anything but A's on it. And uh, I knew you would fit in uh, at the Citadel, and you did a great job for us. Appreciate you. Hey, hey, Everett, you talking about a man that yeah. coached Teddy Bruschi now. <laughs> I, I did not get to coach Teddy, all right? Oh, I thought but you I did get to co- I did get to coach Joe Salavea, and uh, he's, he's one of the greats, and uh, he's one of the great uh, defensive line coaches. Now in, in the business, spoke to him today. He's out at Oregon. Hey, hey, uh, um, while you uh, – while we praised in Marty, when I uh, when I got really what was my first full time job, and coming back to the Citadel when Marty was getting ready to go to um, getting ready to go to uh, Baltimore, Marty literally for two days 
took me out on our practice field, that's turf now, and took me through drills to learn how to coach defensive ends and, you know, really learn how to negotiate leverage planes and how to take on blockers and how to defeat blockers. I mean, that, that tells you, even at that point in his career, uh, how much he was willing to invest in people and, uh, and make them better. So I, I'll, I'll never forget that, Marty. That goes back. I don't even know if you remember it, but that goes back a long time. I would say I don't remember it right now. All right, but if you said I did it, I did it. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Take the credit when they give it to you, man. <laughs> hey, that just means it was genuine. I wasn't trying to do anything, just trying to make sure I help you out, which is good. The, uh, now, now we all had a chance to coach at that alma mater. And, and Ken, we're going to start with you. Um, what is your best memory from your time at the Citadel? Wow. There's a lot of, there's a lot of, you know, we have so many emotional things and so many things that are indelible uh, throughout your course of your career at the Citadel. But I would probably say um, getting, from a coaching standpoint or as a, as a cadet, from a coaching standpoint? Either or. Either or. Well, I would I would say fact, every time – I would say every class – I'm sorry, go ahead. I was just saying give me one of each from a coach and a, and a cadet. It's twofold. Actually, it's, it's, it's actually aligned. Uh, they're, they're, they're the same. Is when I got my uh-huh. ring and every time we had the ring ceremony to give um, – the uh our players their rings because you to me you cannot separate the two things you cannot separate being a player at the Citadel and receiving your ring at the same time because those two things to me are are in alignment um so that would that would that to me in the career of everybody there and to me um because I still wear my ring with pride to this day uh was always um one of the biggest uh, times throughout the season is uh, is when it came down to everybody to get their ring. Yeah. All right, uh, Marty, how about you? My best memories, um, I'll start first uh, as a player. Uh, my career was not nearly as good as yours, Everett, but uh, I had an injury my freshman year, and and how Andy Clawson worked his tail off just to get me back on the field and get me back in the mainstream with all the rest of the guys. That would be my first memory. And then as a coach, as a coach, there is something that is called the dream season, okay, and that was 1992. And uh, we beat Arkansas uh, at Arkansas, September the 5th, uh, and then that season, that whole season, uh, we ended up the season um, um, with the Southern Conference Championship victory at Furman. I was married a little over a year. My wife drove to the game. She sat in the rain. And if you know anything about a black lady and uh, her hair, she had just got her hair done, and I mean, her hair was just all wet and everything, and she's just yelling about the game and didn't think anything about her hair. And um, uh, But that dream season, that dream season was what uh, I would remember more than anything. 
And I watched it tonight, by the way. Steve Bartlestein um, commentates on it. And anybody can go to 1992, Citadel, Dream Season, and it's on YouTube. And I cried, all right, watching all the plays and watching all the guys. I'm not going to name one guy because I might miss somebody. But um, that Dream Season was unbelievable. Yeah, it was. It was. That's true. That's true. Keith? I would have to say, as a student at the Citadel, you guys are really have knobs. Y'all are young. <laughs> but getting... Wow. Wow. <laughs> I have to agree with you on that, though, when you put it into perspective like that. <laughs> yeah, listen, but, hey, hey consider, considering you were there with the boo. <laughs> I think a little bit after the boo. I'm not sure. But anyway. <laughs> But uh, I would say getting through knob here, uh, finishing up, going through recognition after freshman year, uh, because you you don't have you know people you try to explain to people kids that we recruited as coaches you try to explain to them what the freshman year is going to be about, but you really can't explain that. It's something that you got to experience in order to know what it is. Because I remember the first day I walked in there. Walked to the Sally Port. It started. And I was like, what in the world is going on here? And so I would say the end of the freshman year, I'm going to go twofold with it. And, of course, getting my ring, Uh, you know, after those four years at the Citadel. Because to me, after freshman year, it was a piece of cake. Because I wasn't one to get in trouble all the time. So I kind of did what I was asked to do, and I, I I stayed out of sight. You know what I mean? So that, and then as a coach, that's going to be kind of a two-folded thing for me. Um, as a coach there, watching kids, uh, players graduate, but especially watching the kids that I coached personally graduate. I didn't miss a graduation the whole time I was there because I, wanted, I always had a kid to graduate, so I was always at graduation. And, I, and, and that was huge to me. And uh, the other thing I'll say about the staff, uh, I thought we had a, a great group of guys on the staff. And I say that uh, my wife was got very ill. Uh, and I remember how the wives and how the, uh, how the guys all rallied around my family to help us during that time. You know, she was in the hospital for like three months and she went in in July. So like, during two a days and that kind of thing, it was rough. But just knowing that you had to support everybody on the staff and in that community, in our community there, was, was really special. No doubt about it. So now I'm going to tell a quick story um, where where uh, Marty kind of came to my my uh, rescue. Um, one day during my knob year, I'm sitting in my room, and an upperclassman comes and says, hey, Sands, take this crutch, and i get it from you when you get over to Dave's Hall. So I was like, all right, cool. So I got the crutch. Mm. Um, I get over to Dave's Hall, I don't see him. So I end up walking around with the crutch until I got back for lunch. So we get to lunch <laughs> formation, 
Mm. All of a sudden, I hear, where's my crutch? Where's my first sergeant? <laughs> <laughs> had to hop around and they took his crutch. And they gave it to me. So, <laughs> Rob, you see my crutch? And I raised my hand, and oh, they lit into me. And they was like, Sam, we're going to get you kids out of here for honor violation for stealing the crutch and doing that. Man, you talking about hilarious. I went over and told that to kick him out of school. Did that happened to you at the Citadel? Yeah. <laughs> hey. And then when Martin came in there, Coach Long came in there, and he's like, oh, Coach, we're just joking with him. We're just, you know, we're just joking. <laughs> but that was mm-hmm. That was a bad deal. But hey, that's one of the things you look back at now and you laugh about. And, and that's sort of how I got to show you. So now, now, um, a big question. We, we've all coached for twenty plus years, um, and Keith, we'll start with you here. Why? Why do you coach? What was it about it that kept you a coach? I always admired coaches uh, from the time I played uh, Little League Baseball. I just always admired uh, coaches, and there were many different styles. I won't say that I always liked every coach, but I always admired what they did. They spent time Mm -hmm. with kids uh, teaching us different things, and I think what a lot of people don't understand, coaching is just not about coaching ball. It's about life itself. And I think, for me, football is so much like life. And I took the love for the game. And uh, I felt like um, that's something I'd like to try, something I'd like to do. And, uh, and, the most, and mostly, for me, as a coach, it was never about the money. It was something that I would do for free if we could survive that way, you know. It was never about the money because for a long time, uh, for me, I never got paid. You know, I, I just like I was – not that teachers don't get paid well, but we know how, how teachers get paid. For me, for a long time in my career, I was just – people would ask me, why don't you just go back and coach high school or teach in high school? And it made sense because I was making the same kind of money that, high, that, that, that teachers were making, you know. But it was always for me about the kids. Uh, it was my way of giving back to the to, to the kids. Um, I felt like all I had something to offer them, and and not to toot my own horn, but there are people that I coached thirty thirty five years ago that still keep in touch with me, and they'll tell me a story of something that I did or said that I don't even remember. But you know, if 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 you can touch, I remember they would always say. If you could touch one kid in whatever you're doing, you've made a difference in that one kid's life, maybe, you see. And so for me, it was always, that's, that's what it was about. And, you know, somebody asked me the other day, would you go back and coach? Yeah. If somebody wanted me, I most certainly would because I, th- I still feel like I got something to offer these kids, and I think they need us. They need us bad. It's not about, it was never about the money. It was the love of the game and the opportunity to help kids. 
Marty? <laughs> okay. Um, very similar to Keith. Um, one that was about the coaches that were that were in my life, uh, my Pee Wee coaches, my my uh, my high school coach Bobby Ivy, who's still around South Carolina today, I believe. Uh, Ricky Diggs, Art Baker, all all of those guys just just influenced me. And they influenced me in a positive way, and and I saw a change in my life, and I just said I wanted to be able to influence young men uh, on an educational base, on an athletic base, and on a spiritual base, and it, it, it's it's just that simple, and and when you can change someone's life, and in years down the road. Uh, you wake up in Nevada, Reno at 12 o'clock at night or 1 o'clock in the morning, and you're getting a call from from Judson Bomer, all right, and, um, uh, and, and all of his buddies, and they're out, and they're calling you, telling you, uh, we love you, Coach Long. We love Mama Long. Uh, it, it just makes you feel good. And and over my career, I mean, um, I just have over and over just gotten calls, emails, FaceTime, Messenger, just just from guys. And and I know I've changed their lives because they're all doing great things. And uh, mm-hmm. that's what makes it special to be a ball coach. Mm-hmm. Good, good. Before you move on, let Vinny, me ask one question because I'll forget it if I don't ask. Does anybody know where Ricky Diggs is now? Uh, I've got him on Messenger, and and I'll send okay. you all of his stuff. Okay, and okay. and he looks right. healthy and doing really really well. Nice, Kenny. Very similar to uh, what Keith and uh, Marty were saying. I uh, my going into my senior year at the Citadel, I was at home and uh, I went to work out uh, at Zimp Stadium, which is my high school stadium in Camden. Uh, and, and I'm out there working with the linebackers and Coach Ammons, Billy Ammons, who was the head coach at Camden at the time, who I love dearly and uh, is a South Carolina legend uh, as far as victories and all that. I think he's uh, only behind uh, John McKissick in wins. He um, he told me he looked me in the face and he said you need to coach. Well, once you know, once I heard that and came from him, that was the path that I was going to take and I was going to stay on that. And uh, and then just different people that have uh, that have you know been on my path throughout my career, including several of the gentlemen on this call, um, really made a, a pivotal difference. And like Marty was saying, you, over the course of your career, you have so many people that you know you still stay in touch with and. You never know how you influence them and impact them, and then you see them do great things. Heck, I had um, uh, just this past week uh, when I was coaching at Vanderbilt, my uh, my walk-on fullback who sat next to me every meeting for four years just became the head football coach at Vanderbilt. You know, so I mean, it's just you just never know how things are are going to work out over the course of your career, and um, you know, it's it's very impactful to you and to hopefully uh, the players that you have the opportunity to coach. 
That is so true. So true. The um, Now, <clears throat> and Marty, I'm going to start with you because I know our, our time is, is, is coming up. But, um, of course, most people that, that get opportunity to play college ball have aspirations uh, to play professionally. Uh, but what advice would you give a student athlete that wants to play collegially and, and of course, uh, love to get that opportunity to play professionally? Um, uh, Let's start with the high school kid. Um, I would just tell him uh, there's all different levels of football that you could play. You could play power five. You could play group football. uh, You could play division um, it, what we call the one double A when I was playing, but um, you can play all different levels of football. Figure out what is the level that that you're supposed to be at. That is that is the most guys that are recruiting you, and then hit the books. Hit the books hard to be able to open as many of those doors as possible, and then. Choose a school, and once you choose a school, don't look back. Don't worry about what your friends, your buddies, anybody like that saying. Choose a school and then go and enjoy it. All right, football is meant to be enjoyed. It's a game. All right, and then a a young man that's going to college and he's playing ball, uh, the NFL will find you wherever you're at. Okay, if you are good enough to play, they'll find you. Um, but once you get to that level, you need to. What you need to really do is trust your family and your coaches. There are agents out there that's going to tell you whatever you want to hear, and you've got young men that are leaving school early that shouldn't be leaving school. Um, just. Just really, really listen to your family and listen to your coaches because those guys will have your best interests at hand. Um, and then understand that the NFL is exactly that. It stands for not for long. That's why you got the education, and that's why you're going to uh, a school like the Citadel or Northwestern uh, a school that's going to open doors for you. But uh, I wish the best to all of those young men out there that's blessed to be able to get those opportunities. Nice, nice. Kenny, we're going to go to you next. Okay, I would. Uh, I, I was blessed with the opportunity to coach a lot of guys that have played in the NFL or, or gotten opportunities and, heck, one, one Olympian. And the thing, the thing that I, I think, is the the core of it all is you have to as an individual if you have those aspirations whether you're you know going from high school to try to be a, a great player in college or a college trying to go to the NFL is you have to hone your craft and you have to make a decision that if you're going to separate yourself you can't worry about um, the the things that uh, compare you to others you know the measurables are going to be obvious. Um, to coaches, and they're going to be obvious to your teammates. But what you have to do is you have to strain every day uh, to take yourself to another level, and, and you have to you have to learn the game. You have to work the game. Football is so much more advanced now 
than it used to be when we played. Uh, the, the, the level of understanding and detail, you know, the things like RPOs and, and just, just things that take the game and the intricacy of the game uh, is, is so much more extreme in film study. People have a higher level of, of understanding now. And so in order for you to separate yourself, to be a great player, you really have to, in my opinion, uh, these days dive into the game and work the game constantly. With all that said, how do you do that? Uh, I believe it was Marty um, that really kind of started this in a different way and different coaches that I've been with um, that, that used to say it all the time. If you want to have, if you want to see a great player and you want to see a great team, show me a team and a player that has invested in their development academically. And if you have, if you have somebody who is a solid student, now we know there's exceptions to the rule, but if you tell me that you find somebody that is a solid student or a program in an organization that is committed to making sure they graduate their people, you're going to inevitably find a really good football player too. Gotcha. Okay. Good. And Keith, Uh, ask the question again. <laughs> um, what advice do you give a, a student athlete that has aspirations um, to not just play collegially but professionally? Okay, thanks. While listening to you guys, my mind was going all over the place here. But um, <clears throat> I think one thing you have to have a love for the game. Okay, and I'm starting with a high school student. You have to enjoy football. I think you have to understand, kids have to understand that football is not a game that you play to impress your girlfriend. Because you, you can get seriously hurt playing this game. Okay? So I think you have to have a love for the game, for, first of all. Uh, like Kenny said, work at it. You know, and Marty said that too. You work at it. You know, always give your best effort when you're out there. Give your best effort. Give your best effort. When you can watch film, if you can watch film and, and, and put all that together with your studies and all that, then watch film when you can. Learn the game. Uh, enjoy the game. And uh, like I think Marty said a minute ago, when you if you're getting recruited, you have to know where you can play where you can fit in. I've seen a lot of kids that take the D1 offer, the big-time D1 offer, the big fives or whatever, and then have to transfer because they couldn't play or because they're unhappy. You know, I always say to kids when, they, when, when I would recruit kids and I knew that they would have other, other offers, I would just tell them, remember this, where do you feel the most comfortable? It's not about who's telling you this and who's telling you that, where do you feel the most comfortable? And that's the place you ought to be. It may not be the place that, I hate to say it, it may not be the place that where mom and daddy want you to go or where all your friends want you to go. It may be a place like a Northwestern, you know, which is a Big Ten school, but they don't get the same uh, accolades as Michigan or Ohio State. They don't get the same kind of publicity. You know what I'm saying? Am I correct, Marty? In saying that? I'd, I'd say yes. Okay. And don't forget the schools like the academies. You know, I coached at the Naval mm-hmm. Academy for 14 years. 
We didn't have a whole lot of kids to go pro, but the, the long snapper for the New England Patriots, Mr. Cordova, is a Naval Academy grad. You know, uh, one of the wide receivers right now for the Miami Dolphins was a great quarterback at Navy. I can't think of his name right now. Because he came in after I left, you know. And uh, Keenan, Keenan Reynolds played, had opportunities to play in the pros. So Keith, you have, I know who he is because he's, he's still running down the field against us in South Florida. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but, you know, and but yeah. just go where you feel you're going to become. As far as uh, getting to the, the next level in the pros, I have to use uh, Alex Brown that I coached my last year at uh, South Carolina State. I coached him for one year. There was no doubt in my mind when the scouts would ask me about Alex Brown, I would tell him, if he gets into camp, he's going to make somebody's team. And uh, he got drafted by San Diego. Uh, they sent him over to Philly to someplace else. He bounced around, and he got on with the Chiefs, and he got himself a Super Bowl ring. But I knew if Alex had the opportunity to play, he was going to make somebody's team. And that's and so it's, you know it's, it's one of those things you got to have a great work ethic, and you got to understand that everybody is not a Ray Lewis, everybody is not a Tom Brady, and um, it's like the guy said earlier. Everett, you got your offensive lineman. What he was saying, I, I know guys that. They made a team because that's what that team needed at that time. But I also know of guys who didn't make a team because they didn't need that at that time. So, you know, it, it all comes back. It, 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 it's all different things. But if you want to get there, it's up to you to put in the work, to put in the time to get there. Hey, hey, Everett, I'll give you a, citadel, a quick Citadel story just along those lines of talking about players and different levels and what, what goes on. The year we won the national championship at Florida, uh, the, the last game uh, before we played uh, Florida State, we played the Citadel. And, I mean, we absolutely demolished the Citadel. And our players, when they evaluate, when they watch film during the week, our players, regardless of who we played, they never gave anybody any credit about anything because we were so dang good. I mean, they were just they were just that arrogant. But they loved and talked about Andre Roberts more than any player we played, even in the SEC. They absolutely <laughs> loved Andre Roberts. Hey, now, my memory serves me correctly. The Citadel scored more points against Florida than anybody else except Mississippi State that year. That, I think that was when I was coaching there, actually. That was when they had uh, uh, Rutledge, and, uh, Rutledge and all those guys, Jovan Kirsch. That, was, uh, that wasn't when we played them. That yeah. wasn't when was that, that was when we were coaching was when, uh, Keith. Was that the one where uh, Stanley was about to break one and Javon reached yeah. out? And, and, and Javon Kirsch ran him down from the backside? It, he tripped him. He, tripped, he reached out and tripped him. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Okay. no, no. That was that was exactly the end. That was exactly the end. No, when we when we played them, when we played them at our place, that was a that was a different year. But I remember what you were talking about, and you were exactly yeah. right. I was, yeah. You were exactly right. I thought it was the year y'all won the national championship because because uh, uh, no, that was Cam the year Turner. after. That was that was the year after. Wow. That was the, they had, that previous year, 
we played them, and they had the number one defense in the in the country, and that's when we went mm-hmm. there. When I was coaching there, when I was coaching there, mm-hmm. and then when we won the national championship, the year I'm talking about, we won it that year, but we played them that same season. But the year that they scored the most right. points against them was the was the year after they had won it, I believe, in uh, 2006. Wow. Um, Years run together. Years run together. But, but hey, um, <laughs> yeah, they do, man. <laughs> you got that right. <laughs> the, um, now we we actually go to a, we usually go to a break, but since we got you all here, if y'all don't mind, we're just gonna go on and 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 start to to close this down. Now the thing that we're gonna talk about, um, Corey, you're still there, right? And I want to get all of your to plug in on this, is the, the the big game that we hadn't talked about yet, and then we'll talk about the game that's to come, is the Clemson-Ohio State game. Um, now, I think that Tony Elliott not being there had something to do with it, uh, but Ohio State was ready for the boys this year. Um, what, what was your takes on this? You should start with Marty. He knows more about it than any of us. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yep. oh, Marty, you had a chance to play the house. What did you see? Did you did you see them getting after Clemson like that? Well, um, I'm partial to the Big Ten because uh, uh, our team is in the Big Ten, and I just think uh, week in and week out, you just got to play physical ball. Um I know I see our players after after the games, and 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 they are beat up, all right. Um, but we played Ohio State uh, in uh, the championship game, and and um, we gave up a lot of yards on the ground. It was it was some schematical things in there, um, and I, I'd say that my guys had quite a bit to do with it, but. Um, they are a really, really talented team uh, that has a lot of weapons all over the field. And we're fortunate to be able to hold them to 22 points, okay? Uh, they didn't have one of their top receivers, but uh, COVID hit a lot of guys, all right, on both sides of the ball. But, but, um, uh, I did not see the game going the way that it did. Uh, I thought that um, Ohio State came out with a chip on their shoulder um, from some things that were said in the media. But those things go away after the ball is snapped. What doesn't go away is fundamental football. Okay? And and I think uh, it it was a fundamental game and and, – one team played really, really well, and the other team did probably did not play their best. But that's why it's called football. You got to go out and you got to settle the game on the green grass. And that's um, all. Ohio State came and they showed up that that game, and they had a had probably their best game. Okay, and and I'd say Clemson probably did not have their best game, and that's what happens when uh when those things collide would you agree marty though that um 
you know, the, the human element is definitely a part of athletics. And when you, you think about Trevor Lawrence and what he had to overcome mentally uh, going into that game, to, to not have Tony, who has basically been in your head and calling every play for you your entire career, to not be there, I would think, regardless of how much sure he is and how much he's played, hmm. I, I think that's probably like losing a parent. You know, right. I think that, right. that's uh, probably, I agree you know, ex- very severe. Mm-hmm. I, I totally agree with you. Um, um, I mean, if your offensive coordinator is not there, that is going to play a big factor in the game. Um, and uh, uh, I just felt just watching the game that, that one team – uh, really showed up, and the other team um, uh, did not play their best game. Okay, mm-hmm. and and then there were players that were missed throughout the game, and those things affect the game. So that's why football should not be something that you bet on, right? because you're dealing with uh, uh, 18 to 22 year old young men, and anything can happen. Okay, so so. Um, uh, that's, but that's what happens when those type of things collide. Now, um, Corey Brown, I'm going to start with you um, because you're the one that, that has not been a collegiate football coach. Um, Ohio State, Alabama, what's your thoughts? Um, if I'm betting which I'm not, but if I'm a betting man, I'm not, it's, it's tough to go against Alabama and save him. But if Fields plays the way that he played this weekend, uh, I would expect to shoot out. Um, it's, it's just tough. It's, uh, when I look at, um, you know, the two teams, you know, everyone always says, and, and Marty, I hope not stepping on, on your any toes, but everybody always says that the Big Ten teams are big, but they don't have uh, the same speed as, as the SEC and some of these other conferences. But, you know, that what I saw Saturday um, leads vertical pause, and I do believe that, again, if Fields plays the way that he played and if, if Ohio State shows up with that same chip, that same energy, that they should have a chance to compete, and that game may come down to the wire. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But Coach Carter? I would, oh, I would okay, go ahead. Alabama. If you're, if you're asking, I, I would, I would say Alabama would win that ball game. If I could, I'd like to go back to the uh, Ohio State Clemson game for one statement, for one thing. All right. All right. Excuse me, Kenny. No, I no do problem. agree. I have to agree with what Coach Sweeney was saying about playing eleven games as opposed to five or six now. I, I do right. have to agree with that. I, I don't know how much of a factor that would have played, but we've all been there. You know, I think Marty, uh, they Marty, you guys played what ten, eleven games. We played nine. We ended up seven okay, and they two. Played nine games. They played nine games. Clemson played eleven. Correct? Am I correct? Yeah. Well, I, I think that's what it was. Well, I'm, I'm saying that to say this. Ohio State, in my mind, was in mid-season form, okay? 
because of the fact that they had only played, what, six games. And I think that does make a difference. I don't think that uh, – I really feel like if, if Fields played the way he played, regardless of how many games they had pl- played, they would have won. But I do think that there is something to that about having only played six games as opposed to Clemson playing 11. And that's what I'm looking at uh, for this national championship game also. Uh, Alabama haven't played, uh, you know, a whole season. And uh, Ohio State mm-hmm. will be going in the game, what, number seven is it, or whatever. But at least there's a, there's a uh, you know, there's going to be a little bit of a break in there. Or is right. or is there? You know. It's but uh, I think that, that, that was a, uh, you know, that was something to think about. As I watched that game, I, I thought about that. Right. Right. Good. Kenny, I got I got a little insider, kind of a little insider trading because um, you know Charlie's there, and uh, I talk to Charlie quite often. And uh, one thing he told me mm-hmm. when he first got down there, he was like, "Wow." He said, "We are," he said, "We are so big, um, we are so physical," and he said, "We are so fast." And you know, one mm-hmm. thing Nick Saban says all the time, he says, "Big people beat up on little people," and. The one the, the you look at just watching the game that they played the other, last week, the the skill level, the the ability of the skill kids, and just how physical they are. But the one thing you know about Alabama, and 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 Marty and Keith, you know, every you know, especially in coaching, the one thing that Alabama has, I think that is probably um, the difference maker for everybody. So many people live and die by scheme. You know, in Ohio State, they they love what they do schematically. Uh, Ryan Day's probably no uh-huh. different than Urban, having been with Urban. That you know they they live by fundamentals. But when Alabama when Alabama gets in trouble, they're not going to try to find a scheme to get them out of trouble. <laughs> they're going to go back to the fundamentals and basics, and they're going to play football, and they're going to punch yeah. you in the mouth, and they're going to get out of their situation that way. And anytime you have that, when you have that 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 level of um, of just being able to to put it all back together and go back to the basics and, and conceptualize how to solve your problems it's on defense with aggression and on offense just being physical, um, I think you have a chance to always win a game uh, and a big game, and that's what they've done forever. Um, and I think that's why they probably are, are going to have a chance to win it all because Nick has said, don't lose sight of the fact. Nick said he loves this team and he feels like it's one of the best teams he's had. Mm-hmm. Right. And let me he add to what Kenny's saying, going, uh, going back to the fundamentals that I've always admired about Nick Saban and about Alabama, and people don't talk about this, but they're a disciplined football team. For sure. You don't see a whole lot of cheap fouls or whatever uh, uh, penalties with Alabama. They're a very disciplined football team, and I think that has always given them a bit of an edge. And Marty, as as one that has played one of those beasts, what is your thoughts on the game? <laughs> um, well, um, I hope the best team wins. All right. <laughs> I'm not hey, hey Marty, trying that. to not get nothing on the board for next year. <laughs> oh boy, you better believe that. You better believe that. I hope the best but team Marty, wins. This Marty's the only, hey, this the only team wins as long as it's Ohio State. Hey Keith, Keith, this is the only part. Yeah. This is the only part of the segment that that uh, that Fitzgerald is listening to. 
man. I've been coaching, uh, guys, I've been coaching 34 years. I know when to keep my mouth shut. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That's what I agree. I agree. You have to know that. Right. Right. Well, on Monday, we're going to find out. Um, and uh, I think it's going to be a really, really good game. I, I would imagine it's probably going to be one of the most watched ever because, one, they can't have a full stadium. Um, so I think the Raiders are going to be the roof. Uh, I think it's going to be a really, really good game. Uh, but personally, since I don't have ties, um, I am leaning towards Alabama. I'm not going to say that Ohio State cannot do it because uh, I know that they can, and I know on any given Saturday, um, exactly anybody. Um, but I just believe that they got a. I know they got some weapons over there at Ohio State. Yeah. <clears throat> and I think they got a whole bunch of weapons over there at Alabama, and uh, it's going to be a great game, and I'm looking forward to watching it. So uh, next next Tuesday we'll be talking about it. It will definitely be uh, one of the first things that we talk about. Um, but we are Amen. starting to wind Amen. down. Um, I definitely appreciate you gentlemen for joining me. Uh, I appreciate uh, um, just from a mentor standpoint, all of you have been a mentor to me. Um, I appreciate that. And, and, again, a special appreciation to uh, to Marty uh, for bringing me, um, convincing me to come to the Citadel because I still remember the first time he came. Um, I was like, I want to talk to him. <laughs> I heard that. <laughs> we all know. Hey, we all know how that feels. <laughs> oh yeah. Hey, how about this? When he came, I happened to be in psychology class, and we had an intern um, or a student teacher that was a Citadel grad. And if wow. he hadn't come at that class, and that Citadel grad wasn't there to tell me to at least go talk to him. I would never even came out to talk to him. Uh, so God, God, look at reason. God. Look at God. That's right. That's right. Look at what he hey, did. Hey, Everett. Hey, hey, yeah. Don't forget, hey, Everett, don't forget this now. When you talk about the Citadel and specifically coaching at the Citadel, Marty Long, right. Marty Long passed his office to me, and I passed the office to you. Wow. Didn't know right. that. Well, well, Marty, you right got across, there in right 80, across from Charlie. Yep, Marty, you got there in '87. Um, so one of us was on staff until 2010. Uh, when did you leave? You you left when, T? I, I left in January 2002. Okay, yeah. So so one of us was there till January 2004. So from '87 to 2010, one of us 86. four was on staff. Wow. 86, excuse me. But, hey, wow. we, uh, we we got about a minute before we get locked out of here. But, again, I appreciate you gentlemen. It's been great. Mm-hmm. Thank you all for listening. And we'll be back next week. And, of course, the first topic that we're going to talk about is the national championship game, which will happen on Monday. And I'm sure you all will be watching. Again, I want to give a special thanks out to Corey Brown, who's my co-host today. Great job today. And uh, we Thank definitely you. look forward to having you all. Back on again. Any last? Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. Thanks.
Everett, oh, I really appreciate, appreciate it. Marty, sir. Absolutely. Hey, it's, it's right. been fun. It's been fun. We'll do it again sometime. But, hey, all you right, all brother. take care, and, uh, and we'll talk to you soon. Okay, take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. Bye. I'm going to stay safe. I'm going to stay safe. I'm going to stay safe. Excuse me, mister Me and my wife was in front of the line Yes, sir I don't think it's right if I allow you to skip me I just want to keep I'm trying to be discreet, sir It's really not deep, sir We all gon' get a seat, sir And we all gon' eat, sir So please, will you calm down Homie, put your arms down I don't wanna show down But it's about to go down It's a nice night, but we just can't act right Just because I'm Christ-like Doesn't mean I'm ice-like I'ma be the bigger man And let you bump me Cause it's idiotic Oh, good.